And we are on air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Race Review with Hot Topics Sound Off. Tonight we are doing reviews for the races at Sonoma and Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. And joining me for tonight's show is our co-host for tonight, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you, Sharon. Appreciate it. Uh, I know Sal's a little busy, so filling in for him tonight. Uh, glad I could help out. Well, I'm glad you were able to help out as well. Uh, we've got a really full show tonight. We're going to start off. We're going to review two ARCA races. One is the Arca Menard Series, who raced at Mid Ohio Sports Car Park or Sports Car Course, and then also the Arca West, who raced at Sonoma Raceway this weekend. Uh, then we're going to give you a few updates from the ARCA East Series. Uh, all of that is during the first half hour. Next is our guest, Xfinity Series driver Joe Graff Jr. with SS Greenlight Racing. He's going to join us tonight. It's been uh, a little while since he's been on, but definitely looking forward to chatting with him. And then uh, we'll get into an update. It's a little bit different than what you're seeing on our, our agenda here. Uh, we're going to do the truck series update uh, before we go into the Xfinity series at Mid-Ohio and then the Cup series at Sonoma. So uh, all of that in, in the, from 9 o'clock until 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock, of course, is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our fan for racing crew. And uh, I believe Owen is joining us tonight. I'm not sure about Mike. Have you heard from him? Uh, I had not heard from Mike. Normally, if he says he's not going to be able to be on, he, uh, he lets us know. And I hadn't heard that. And I know he posted a couple of hot topics. So I think he's going to be. Okay. So we're expecting Mike to be on as well, as well as Owen. So it uh, should be a fun conversation, and uh, definitely looking forward to that. But with that, let's go ahead and get into our review. Uh, we'll start with Ty Gibbs winning the Arkham and Art Series on Friday. Um, he failed during his sixth consecutive pole award, uh, and he ended up qualifying second. Uh, for the Dawn 150 at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. But the 18-year-old driver of the number 18, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, extended the more important streak by winning his fourth Arkham Art Series race in a row, again in dominating fashion. That means he's won five of the seven races of the series this year. He took the lead on lap seven, and with the exception of one lap, he led the rest of the way in the 13-turn, 2.58-mile road course. But there's something else to be kind of excited about on Friday night, too, in the Arkham Menard Series. Well, the first thing, when I look at this, when we look at the Arkham Menard Series, uh, teams and drivers know who they got to beat. I mean, Ty Gibbs has just been absolutely phenomenal and on point this year. I know some fans get get frustrated seeing somebody dominate like that, but that also pushes the bar. These other teams know where the bar is and, and what they got to go after. So uh, maybe we'll see that change throughout the rest of the season, but the points lead did only just change now this past week. So Corey Himes been doing a great job of at least hanging with them. We'll see how that continues as well throughout the season. Okay. Well, 
uh, Friday night, uh, the race, uh, the Dawn 150 at Mid-Ohio, was actually the 1,500th Arca Menard Series race. Uh, that's a, a really big milestone for the Arca Series. who has been around here in the Midwest for a long, long time. And uh, uh, it was really cool uh, to see them be able to celebrate that. It was. Uh, you talk about the history of that series. It most certainly was a huge milestone. I know I saw, I saw Charles Crawl had something on up on that. He hasn't been with them that long, but to just be a part of that celebration and that history mark, uh, history making mark uh, for the series, uh, says a lot about that series. It really does. Uh, now Gibbs also won races at Phoenix Raceway, Kansas Speedway, Toledo Speedway, and Charlotte Motor Speedway. Corey Heim, who logged the best time during qualifying session during the Polo Awards. Uh, actually lost the lead to Brandon Jones on lap four, and it was just the beginning of a stretch of trouble for Corey Heim. He took the lead on a restart with 20 laps to go, but he was issued a pass-through penalty for jumping the green while serving that pass-through. He was caught speeding on pit road and handed another penalty. So it wasn't a good day for Corey Heim. He ended up uh, finishing seventh which was the worst of this year. But thanks to the point that he earned for the tire, general tire pole award, he still has a one-point lead on Ty Gibbs in the championship point standings after seven races. So that's amazing. Well, my apologies there. I thought actually that Gibbs had taken the one-point lead. I, I said Corey Heim had, had lost the points lead. He did not actually lose it. He still has it by one. Uh, I misread that. I thought that Gibbs now had it by one point. No, I think uh, that poll award saved him <laughs> and gave him that yep, one it, point to lead. It certainly does. And if you compare the two stat lines mentioned, uh, Ty Gibbs having the five wins, the other two have been by Corey Heim, uh, both with six top fives. Corey Heim with one more top ten, seven compared to Ty Gibbs' six. And then you mentioned there's different points awarded for the polls uh, throughout. So, and that one, I'm sorry, one bad finish for Ty Gibbs versus Corey Himes' bad finish of seventh uh, is that difference. Uh, like you mentioned, one point, and it is in favor of Corey Heim. Uh, that's that's unbelievable. Uh, two wins to five, that one additional top ten, and where Ty Gibbs is worst finish, and I, I don't know where that was, but. Um, Obviously, outside the top ten, where Corey Himes' worst finish is seventh, uh, puts it at a one-point difference through seven races. It's, it's going to be a tight one, and uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens at the next event. Now, we had some uh, other people kind of in the race this week, too. Uh, NASCAR Camping World Truck Series regular Austin Hill finished seventh, or I'm sorry, second at Mid-Ohio in his fourth Arkham Menard start this year. He uh, closed in on Gibbs uh, during the last green flag run of the race before the eventual winner pulled away. Now, Thad Moffitt finished third to tie his Arkham Menard Series high. Um, Xfinity Series regular Brandon Jones finished fourth ahead of Nick Sanchez from Rev Racing. Stanton Barrett, Corey Heim, Chris Wright, Amout Coke, 
Uh, Kyle Sieg all rounded out the top ten. Uh, Coke earned his top ten finish in his first Arkham Menard Series race. It was also the first race in the United States for the Durban South African native. So Gibbs also extends his lead in the Suit Chief Showdown, and that's because the Dawn 150 was the second of 10 races in that series slate for this year. Uh, so the next race for the Arkham Menard Series is on June 25th. The general tire anywhere as possible, 200 at Pocono Raceway. And also the Pocono Race is scheduled to broadcast live on Fox Sports one. Let's uh, check the rest of the point standings, Jay. All right. Well, with that, again, you mentioned the top two. Talked about good runs by Thad Moffitt and Nick Sanchez, two other drivers that have made all seven starts. Thad Moffitt with three top fives, six top tens, is 45 points uh, back, has an average finish of 7.3. Nick Sanchez does have four top fives, but only five top tens. His average finish, 11.0, puts him 72 points back. And then Drew Dollar, the first one with only six starts, uh, in the fifth spot in points, four top fives, uh, five top tens, one pole. He is 114 points back. But you saw there on the rundown in that top ten, Thad Moffitt and Nick Sanchez are running with these guys. They may not be beating them yet, but they are running mm-hmm. with them. You know, you talk about... Ty Gibbs, I know he's running full-time for the Arkham Menards, but he's got some Xfinity starts. Uh, Brandon Jones and, and Austin Hill coming down from the uh, the top three series. They know, at least, like I said, where that bar is, and they are running in there with them. So that's got to make them feel good about that. You want those victories, understand that, but to know that you're hanging with these guys and you just need that next little step uh, to start getting the wins, you know where you're at. Exactly right. Okay, now we're going to move over. Uh, we're going to go over to the West Coast, and we're going to talk about the Arco West Series race at uh, Sonoma Raceway. And Chase Briscoe, actually, it was his very first West Series win. Uh, he actually entered the General Tire 200 at Sonoma Raceway. Uh, primarily because the Cup Series regular needed some practice for Sunday's Toyota Save Mart 350 at a track in which he had never raced before. So the 26-year-old indeed lost plenty of repetitions on the 12-turn, 2.52-mile road course as he held as he led every lap of the second West Series race of the 2021 season. Driving the number 14 Huffy Parker Ford, Briscoe, the 2016 Arkham Menard Series champion, picked up his first West win in his fourth series start. He also started three West races, and that was back in 2013. So um, it was all about preparing for the Sunday race. And we, we've seen this in the past, and I know this is where some fans get upset, but, again, it provides for that West Series for the fans, for the other uh, drivers and teams. You know, kind of look at it being the same story, but uh, to have them come in and run against them, we've seen Kevin Harvick make starts. We've seen several others. I know Noah Gregson has run this event in the past. So it's not like it's a new thing. 
I think this is the first time maybe we've seen a, a driver come in and thoroughly dominate like Briscoe did, though. Uh, unfortunately, maybe it didn't carry over quite as much as he had hoped into Sunday's cup race, but for him, the experience, and, and we understand that with him being a rookie in the cup series, they haven't been getting the practice that they normally would on a, on a yearly basis. Uh, we'll see what happens next year, whether or not that changes back to somewhat of what we were used to in the past. Exactly. Uh, he actually did. He took the lead on lap one, and he never gave it up, despite the fact that there were seven cautions throughout the race. Uh, but the local driver, Dylan Lupton, the former West Series regular who now dabbles in NASCAR's National Series, finished second at Sonoma, driving for Bill McAnally Racing. It was his first race since he finished second in 2014 in the Series Point standings. Uh, in third place, uh, P.J. Pedroncelli, the Sonoma native who has raced part-time in the West Series in 2008, finished third, easily a new career best. Prior to the General Tire 200, Pedroncelli had not earned a top-10 finish in 13 West Series starts. He raced alongside his father, Paul, on Saturday. Paul Pedrincelli finished 13th in his first race on the Arkham Arnard Series platform. Cole Moore finished fourth. Todd Souza, who was forced to battle back from a pass-through penalty after he jumped the green flag at the start of the race, finished fifth. Uh, Dean Thompson, who is the pole, oh, Dean Thompson and then pole sitter Jake Drew, Bridget Burgess, Ryan Philpott, and Bobby Hillis Jr. round out the top ten. Uh, a lot of you will remember that Jesse Love was last year's uh, series West Series champion. Uh, he left the, the West opener at Phoenix in March as the highest finishing series regular, but he had a rough day at Sonoma because he was involved in multiple incidents with a gear issue compounding his issues and leading to a 19th place finish. So not a good day for him, nor was it a good day for Truck Series regular Zane Smith, who entered Saturday's race after crashing on the first lap of the West opener, suffering more bad luck at Sonoma. He blew an engine on the pace lap and ended up finishing 22nd. Now, by virtue of his eighth-place finish at Phoenix and now his fifth place on Saturday, it's Todd Souza that left Sonoma as the Arkham Menards West Series points leader. Pedris Nassili is second and ahead uh, of Moore in third. And the West Series will return to action on Saturday, July 3rd, for the Napa, Parts, uh, Napa Auto Parts 150. That'll be at Irwindale Speedway, which will be shown on NBC's Track Pass. A replay of this past Saturday's race at Sonoma will broadcast this week or Wednesday at 6 p.m., Wednesday, June 9th at 6 p.m., and that'll be on NBCSN. Okay. Now I want to take a look at the series point standings here for the Arkham and Art Series as well. We mentioned, who would have predicted that, Jay, that Chats Huza and Paul Petroncelli Jr. would be the leaders in the series point standings after two races. Well, we predicted that this was going to sort itself out as it wasn't a joint venture like the opener was. 
not in the order that we thought, which uh, it's one of those of, okay, you see Chase, Chase Briscoe come in and dominate. There are still so many great storylines that are going to come out of this. Todd Souza is the points leader. Jesse Love, we've talked about, is back in seventh at uh, 12 points back. As he mentioned, he was the top highest going into uh, this race. So I also look at down the road of what this uh, is going to mean for the future races as Jesse Love's going to have to battle his way back up to the top if he wants to defend that championship. Yeah. If you look at the series point standings after just two races, there's just 21 points from 10th place to 1st place. So this is still very tight with just the two races. Uh, you've got Cole Moore in 3rd place, uh, Dean Thompson in 4th place, and Trevor Huddleston rounding out the top five drivers. And it's Jake Drew, Jesse Love that uh, Jay mentioned, Bridget Burgess in 8th place, Bobby Hillis Jr. in ninth, and Takuma Koga, uh, in 10th place, and actually Billy, Bobby Hillis Jr. and Takuma Koga are both tied at 21 points back. When you go back even at 11th and 12th, Tony Toast and Joy East, 22 and 23 points back, another one point for each of those. So, And those are the 12 so far that have all made uh, both starts for the West Series. Uh, that's where your championship contenders are going to come from as they continue down the road. And like I said, I know some want to look at, well, that race uh, was dominated, but it's a, more to me is more about the series and some of these other drivers getting a little more recognition and, and airtime, if you will, because like I said, Jesse Love is going to have to bypass them. Even if he comes back and wins next week, I don't know if he could fully take the points lead, so that'll carry into week four. I like the storylines that it leads to leading down the road. Yes, indeed. And, and uh, again, we've got a lot to look forward to. You know, another thing that it's important, I think, to point out here, Bridget Burgess is actually uh, uh, from England or Great Britain, and then Takuma Koga from Japan. So it's not just uh, local or, you know, USA drivers. We've got drivers from other countries that are participating in this race as well. In this series. Yeah, we always, like to see, we always like to see that. And I know some of it, uh, I can't say the relation, uh, Japan-wise coming from the West Coast, uh, I'm not sure how Bridget Burgess coming from Great Britain comes over to the West Coast, not the East, but – it's great to see that kind of mix <laughs> and new drivers coming in like that into these uh, these series. Absolutely. I want to just point out, too, that over at ArkhamRacing.com, uh, they always do such a great job. There's a photo gallery from uh, Sonoma. I'm sure there's also one from uh, Mid-Ohio. And a lot of really great highlights from both uh, Sonoma and Ohio as well. And uh, Chase Briscoe talks about how crucial it was for him to win the uh, West Series race at Sonoma. So if you haven't been over at ArcaRacing.com lately, uh, definitely check it out. Uh, again, Ty Gibbs is talking about just how relaxed he was after winning the uh, Dawn 150 at Mid-Ohio. So they, they have a lot of great videos for you to check out and articles. You can learn more about South South African native uh, Arnaut 
Koch, who made his American Racing debut in the Arkham Menard series as well. Yeah, certainly there is always some great reading and, and video highlights. The packages that Arkham Menard series puts up on their site, uh, great to check out. I know we've worked with a couple of the writers there. Uh, I know one of them moved on to uh, something else now, and I can't think of who he's working for. Uh, he's with the front what, uh, stretch. David, what's that? He's with the front stretch. Okay, front stretch. Uh, yeah, David Seagal uh, doing some stuff that I know we had worked with him before. So, again, that series, the East and West series, to see drivers, crews, teams come out of there and – and move up and into different locations throughout NASCAR is such a great thing. And why I think it's so important for fans to understand that, that it's not, that it's uh, not an important series. Uh, Cause it really is. I mean, we've talked about this, how many drivers at the cup level, this is where they come from. There's mm-hmm. the grassroots uh, from of it. And, and like I said, it's not just about the drivers, there's crew members and teams and, and everything that come from these series. Exactly, exactly, and Chase Briscoe is a good example of that. Uh, I wrote an article a few years back when he won the uh, the year that he won the uh, Arkham Art Series champion about how he was sweeping floors at Cunningham Motorsports, and that led to him getting a ride. They gave him, uh, I think, a one or two uh, ride uh, uh, chances to drive in one season he did so well in those two starts uh that they gave him a full-time ride the following year and he ended up winning the championship so um and now look how great he did in the xfinity series he did great in the truck series and now he's racing in the uh, cup series so it's really amazing uh how things can happen in this arkham series now, I just want to mention as well that the Menard Series East uh, did not race this past weekend, but they will be racing next weekend on July the 12th at 8 p.m. Eastern at Southern National Motorsports Park, uh, and uh, they'll be racing the Southern National 200. That will be available uh, on NBC Gold's Track Pass, and uh, I'm sure you'll be able to follow along at ArcaRacing.com as well with their Race Central. So uh, definitely mark that one in the books. <laughs> and while I was going to give a quick update there on the standings. This will load real quick uh, before we move on. Uh, Sammy Smith, your leader there after four races, picking up two wins, all four finishes in the top five. He's got a 22-point lead. Uh, over Mason Diaz, and then Max Gutierrez at back 23, Joey East uh, at minus 28, and Daniel Dye at minus 33. So that one, they got four races in, has been gapped a little bit. Sammy Smith, the the more dominant driver there, but we do see at least a little more spread out with the wins on the East Series. Yes, indeed. And so this next race is going to be an important one because those guys uh, that are behind him, are going to want to close that gap. Uh, Mason Diaz, uh, Max Gutierrez, all uh, 20, 23, 22 and 23 points back. Uh, and I'll tell you what, Max Gutierrez makes this an international series as well. He is from Mexico. We've had him on the show, and uh, it, it's 
uh, really going to be an interesting year, I think, for the remaining racers here in the Arkham Menard Series East. It does, and that's another one we mentioned having that international flavor. We've seen several that have come through uh, from the, the Mexico Series, Max Gutierrez being one of them, uh, to learn about that and see those drivers as well. And I know here on the east side, uh, especially that that they do the interviews uh, with us, that we have a regular standing agreement, uh, Rev Racing and the Drive for Diversity program that they're behind uh, really brings that forth. And we, we so much admire what they do with the East Series here. Yes, indeed. Now, uh, we mentioned that uh, the second race of the Sioux Chief Showdown was at Mid-Ohio this past weekend. The next Sioux Chief Showdown race, Ty Gibbs, by the way, still has the lead in that Sioux Chief Showdown. Um, the Menards 250 is the next Sioux Chief Showdown event. That will take place July 10th, 9 p.m. Central, that's 10 p.m. Eastern, at Elko Speedway, and that will be televised on Math TV. So, again, you'll want to mark your calendars for that event as well. And there, there you want to talk about that. You, you mentioned Ty Gibbs having the lead. Uh, after two races. This one's a lot tighter, though. Nick Sanchez and Thad Moffitt, second and third, tied at 80 points, only six points behind. Corey Heim at 79 points. There's only seven points back. And then you got Brad Smith, Tony Constantino, Owen Smith, Austin Hill, and Jesse Love, and Brandon Jones uh, are your top ten there. So that one, I think that series, and again, it's only the ten designated races on a variety of tracks. I think could get real interesting. We don't see the domination by Ty Gibbs there, even with the two wins, that how that series within the series uh, is set up. So again, it's to give these other drivers some exposure. They may not be able to run the full schedule based on age or other things, um, but it gives them a chance to run for a championship uh, and some other extra recognition, if you will. Yeah, it should be noted here, that Austin Hill, Jesse Love, and Brandon Jones in that top of 10 uh, only have one race to their credit of the two Sioux Chief Showdown events. So, uh, again, this next race is going to kind of, I think, uh, shake things up a little bit. It will. That will sort itself out, as we've seen here now on the West Series. Once you get the the, one, the regulars that run every race separated from the ones that make the one-off starts, you're right. Uh, that will shift that up quite a bunch. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, let's go ahead and uh, uh, we've got our guest coming up here, so we'll do a lead-in for him, Joe Graff, Jr., drives the number seven for the NASCAR Xfinity Series. His team is SS Greenlight Racing, and uh, he did race uh, in the Xfinity Series at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course this weekend. So uh, definitely looking forward to chatting with him again uh, and getting his thoughts about racing out at Mid-Ohio. It was the first time he's raced on that track, so uh, it was his debut in that series. Uh, on that track. Well, yeah, I can't wait to chat to him about that, as well as a couple of things that uh, I know I want to ask about uh, of the previous race um, and and where the team's at. And I know you always got a couple of questions there about his hobbies that you like to uh, to get updated on. So uh, <laughs> it's great to have him back on here. 
Yes, indeed. Now, I know he's got another interview, so uh, we might uh, have a limited amount of time here, but uh, we'll try to put as much time into it as we can um, because uh, right after he interviews with us, he's on his way to another interview. So it's going to be a busy night uh, tonight for Joe Graff, Jr., well, I saw where you had messaged to let me know that, and we appreciate the time he does give us. Uh, that tells you, too, when people talk about these drivers, it's not just about their on-track. What they do for sponsor commitments, a lot of them have their own organizations uh, that they they work for and do different things for. They put a lot of time into this other than showing up and racing on Sunday or Saturday in this case. That is so true, and, and I'll tell you what, Joe Graff Jr. and his team – do a great job with sponsorship for him. He has a number of different sponsors throughout the year, and, and that's one of the things I'm going to talk to him about because G-Coin uh, was one of his primary sponsors this weekend out at Sonoma Raceway, and uh, they've got a promotion going. So uh, hopefully he can tell us a little bit more about that promotion because there's some people uh, that could be winners uh, during sometime during this month, so uh, we'll definitely talk to Joe Graff Jr. about that. Well, I know that's one of the things that definitely helps a sponsor uh, when the fans can get engaged and involved like that. Uh, certainly does does help. Just brings a good promotion all the way around for the driver, the team, the the sport, as well as the product. Yes, indeed. Okay, Joe just arrived, so we're going to bring him into the queue here. Uh, And first of all, Joe, I want to say welcome to the show. It's good to have you back. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Okay. Uh, Well, we were just talking about uh, this was the first time that you raced at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course this weekend, and uh, I wanted to get your thoughts about that course. Road course racing is becoming more uh, prominent within the uh, Xfinity and Cup Series. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Definitely a really, uh, really exciting race. Unfortunately for us, we uh, we lost brakes um, about halfway through stage two, so we didn't have any brakes the second half of the race. So that was definitely tough, but um, a lot of fun before that. It's definitely a good race for the fans. Yes, indeed. And and it's kind of a return to Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course because I know we didn't race there last year with the COVID. Um, but uh, just talk about, uh, did you do eye racing in order to prepare to race there? And did you get a chance? To- no, so I, I never tested there. I did a lot of eye racing, though, so that was super helpful. Um Scott Speed helped me a lot before going there, so it was really good to be working with him still um, on all the road course stuff. So it was it was fun. Um, felt like we would have had a pretty good day, just uh, some bad luck these last couple of weeks. Well, yeah, and that's understandable. You're at two tracks that you've never raced on before. So uh, that's not always an easy uh, task, but uh, – uh, I know you gave it everything you could, Joe. Uh, now, I know that uh, you've been working with Josh Weiss as well as uh, Scott Speed, and you mentioned that Scott Speed was helpful to you on the road courses. 
Uh, is it Josh Weiss that helps you on the ovals, or so it's is... both. Um, like I, I work with both of them um, a ton all week. Josh's program is awesome, and uh, just really helped me develop my racecraft this year. I've definitely um, seen a lot of um, benefits from it, and just a lot of improvements this year as well. Um, super stoked to be working with them. Absolutely. Okay, now here's the other thing I wanted to ask you about. G-Coin was a new sponsor with you for this weekend, and they have a promotion going on, uh, and fans, I guess, can win something sometime this month. Can you tell us a little yeah, bit more absolutely. about that? We're doing we're, – we're giving away $1,000 in G-Coin, which G-Coin, for those of you that don't know, is basically a uh, – way to own real gold that you can actually use without having real gold. So it's a, it's an app on your phone and it's um, set by um, the blockchain. All of the gold is verified responsible gold. And um, it's a way for investors and everyday people to save, spend, um, save, send and spend real gold. So like you can send um, gold to your friends, like through payments and stuff like that. Um, you can use it at a store, you can save it. And what's really cool about it is it uh, it basically um, allows your purchasing power to be the same. Um, like the purchasing power of gold has been the same for a very long time where the purchasing power of a dollar due to inflation has gone down tremendously. So it's really just a great way to safeguard um, your savings and things as well. Okay, and what about the promotion that they're doing? Um, yeah, so we are doing a giveaway with them. Um, uh, the link is in my Instagram bio, and you have a chance to win $1,000 in G-Coin, so that's a really cool opportunity. Um, really stoked to see who's going to win that. Um, we have it going on for the next little bit here, so it'll be be a lot of fun. Okay, so check out uh, Joe Graff Jr. I think I think you're pretty much Joe Graff Jr. on all the social media outlets, uh, but this is on specifically Instagram. You said. Yeah, so it's um, it, it should be on all of my social media outlets, but it's in my Instagram bio right now. If you want to go enter. Okay, so uh, definitely check that out. Now our co-host is with us tonight, Jay Huseman, and I want to. Uh, hand the mic over to him so that he can ask you this question. Of course. All right. Well, thank you, Sharon. And, uh, Joe, I know you got a busy night here. You've got a second interview, so uh, we appreciate the time you're giving us. Uh, I wanted to back up to uh, to Coda. Uh, I mentioned working with some other drivers. First, uh, with what led to it, I know you made the decision to step out of the car. You were having some, I guess it was knee issues. Can you talk about that, of making that decision on what was best for not only your health, but the, the team as well, being on such a technical road course as Coda? Yeah, of course. So um, I was uh, – my knee was bothering me that week leading up. I didn't think it would be a problem, to be honest with you. Like if it was an oval or somebody or a racetrack where there wasn't such strenuous braking zones, I feel like it would have been fine. It just uh, it made it very difficult for me to consistently 
use the brake pressure I needed to and calculate the speeds going into the corners. Um, so I decided it would be best to step away for that race. And uh, one of the other drivers I've become pretty good friends with is Ross Chastain. He's in the Josh Wise program as well. Um, got to know him through through that and just being around the last couple of years as well. Um, he was at Colleague for a few races when I was at Childress a few years back, so I met him there as well. Awesome guy, awesome race car driver, and can't thank him enough for um, offering to step in and help us out that weekend. Well, you kind of already answered my next question then of how that deal came about. But you mentioned what you take from from another driver as well as what he brings to the team and, and how that enables the team to maybe find another direction if they need to go or feedback you get from a driver like Ross Chastain. Absolutely, absolutely. And he, uh, he'd also raced for Bobby in in the past as well, so that was really cool too. Um, like Bobby already knew him and has worked with him and everything, so that was that was part of it as well. And my, my last question before I turn it back over to Sharon, because I know, again, we got you for limited time. Talking about the road courses and the direction that it appears NASCAR is going, we have uh, more road courses on the schedule this year, uh, and we've seen this in the past. It used to be one or two drivers that could come in as road course ringers to dominate these races. We're not seeing that as much anymore. Where do you see that within the Xfinity Series, and especially within your guys' team and organization, being that you were there at, at uh, Mid-Ohio for the first time ever. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely tough with how, much, uh, with how many road courses NASCAR is bringing in. It really forces you as a driver to be able to learn and adapt and figure these road courses out in order to perform the best you can. Because when it was only a few on the schedule, you used to sometimes be able to get away with being – good at the ovals and um, only okay at the road courses because there wasn't as many of them. Um, they could sometimes get overlooked. Now it's uh, really important to be really good at both. Um, I think that's part, part, partially why in the Cup Series you're not seeing as many road course ringers dominate these races. It's um, a lot of the guys that dominate other races too just because it's so important to um, figure out how to have speed at these road courses because there's so many of them. Well, we look forward to seeing it, hearing from you again and, and seeing you and hopefully uh, the next road course there. Uh, I'm sure you didn't need the uh, lesson you got this past weekend of no brakes uh, isn't good, uh, but you, get, you got that in your notebook, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's always good to have a brake pedal. All right, Sharon, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Okay, Joe. Uh, you know, with with what's going on with these last two races, I bet you're looking forward to the next race. Well, you get a week off, number one, but the next race is at Nashville. Uh, what are your thoughts about NASCAR going to Nashville and uh, the importance of being at Nashville as they consider whether or not they want to bring the Cup Series there? So I'm super excited to go to Nashville, but um, we actually are running Texas this weekend as well. Um, and Texas oh, was one of, yeah, oh, yeah, right. yeah. So we're run, um, okay. so we're running Texas this this weekend um, with G Coin again. Super stoked to have them on. Um, Texas was one of our best races last year. We were really fast at both races. Um, ran inside the top fifteen all day until. Uh, 
we ended up getting into a wreck in the later stages of the race last year, but like a really good track for us, one of my favorite tracks, and just really, really excited to get back there and have a good outing. Yeah, I'm sure you're looking to uh, improve on that uh, uh, and kind of redeem yourself from that, uh, what happened at the end of that race, because I kind of remember that. You were running up in that top 15 quite a bit, and I'm sorry I overlooked it. I, I don't know how I overlooked it, but yeah, the Xfinity and the Truck Series are both racing at Texas this weekend, as well as the All-Star Race on on uh, uh, Sunday, so uh my my bad there i apologize no problem no problem super excited about that and i'm super excited to see um nascar get back to nashville um nashville is definitely an awesome place a lot of nascar fans out there i know everybody in nascar loves going out there so it's uh it's gonna be great to be back there um hopefully we can uh get two races there sometime and race the fairgrounds as well. Um, that'd be awesome. I love that place too. Yes, indeed. I know you've raced there. Uh, you Did you race uh, at the Nashville Fairgrounds in the ARCA series? Yeah, that was actually my, my ARCA debut. Um, I broke my foot in 2018 and had my ARCA debut at Nashville. Oh, um, led some laps there at a really good day. So it was, it was great. Absolutely love that track. Okay. Now, I'm assuming the injury is uh, with the knees. I'm assuming that that's all a little bit better now since you were able to survive at Mid-Ohio. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's good now. I'm back to 100%, so I'm excited about that. Um, I'm excited to uh, hopefully have a good road course coming up here. I think uh, Road America is our next one. Yes. And uh, so the experience that you have on uh, – uh, Mid Ohio uh, is something that uh, you can probably take with you into Road America, right? Absolutely. A little Absolutely. bit different track. Yeah, if, but same, if I, if I, same principles and stuff. We're uh, learning as we go. We're definitely getting better at these road courses, so I'm excited about that, and uh, I'm excited to see what it has to hold. I'm even more excited to see uh, these. Next few races, love going to Texas. We get to go back to Pocono in a couple of weeks, which is kind of like my home track. So really excited to do that as well. Okay. Um, now, I, we're at that point of the show. I'm going to say it's close to us saying goodbye. Uh, but I want to give you a chance to do any shout-outs that you want to make uh, before we say goodbye. It could be team members, sponsors, whatever. Yeah, just a uh, um, huge shout-out to my sponsors and partners, Bucked Up, Z-Grills, G-Coin, Eat Sleep Race, Watchanista, Bass Reaper. Um, couldn't, couldn't do it without them. Um, really appreciate everything they do. Um, big thanks to everybody at the shop. We've been uh, having some stuff going on there. And um, huge shout-out to Jake. Um, he's been been awesome to getting a lot of stuff done and we're going to have a really good year um going on here so i'm um, excited to turn it around had a couple of uh had a little bit of bad luck here these last few races but we're going to turn it around at texas this week and uh have a good second half of the year well i'll tell you what joe you got me all excited about that xfinity series race at texas i can't wait to see what happens 
So uh, that's going to take place on Saturday, June the 12th at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. You can watch Joe Graff Jr. in the number seven for SS Greenlight Racing. So, Joe, thanks again for being here with us. We always enjoy catching up with you. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, take care, and good luck with that next interview. (laughs) You guys, too. Thank you. Okay. All right. Uh, that was Joe Graff Jr. on SS Green from SS Greenlight Racing. Uh, always enjoy chatting with him. And I don't know when he left, so did Jay. So I'm hoping Jay returns back to the show uh, here with us uh, because we were going to get into the Xfinity. I'm sorry, the Cups, the Truck Series, and give you a few updates there. Uh, and uh, definitely looking forward um, to uh, that. So here's Jay now. So I will bring him back into the queue. Okay, okay that one there I can't blame on Jay. That one, that one I can't blame on the phone. Uh, using a different phone tonight. That was me hitting the uh, hang up button instead of the mute button. <laughs> oh no! I wondered what happened. <laughs> okay, so well, that's good. That's the good news, really. Adapting, we are talking about road course racing, I have to adapt to using the different phone buttons in a little bit different spot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, another fun interview with Joe Graff Jr. He always uh, does a good job here with us. He does. It, uh, it's so great to have him on. I know he, he missed, uh, missed one or so there uh, where he wasn't able to come on. But uh, we do love having him on. I know we didn't get the uh, full update on his hobbies and his shoe collection. We'll have to catch that next time, though. Yes, indeed. Uh, because he's got quite the sneaker collection. Uh, but we definitely will catch up with that on the next show. Okay, uh, let's move on to the NASCAR Truck Series. They did not uh, race this weekend, uh, but... Uh, their next race is going to be at Texas Motor Speedway. As we mentioned a little bit earlier, the speedycash.com 220, uh, and that will be on Saturday at 12 noon. So it's a doubleheader day uh, for racing. Uh, and I want to mention, too, uh, there's, there's a lot of racing going on on Saturday, and we'll be talking about all this on Thursday. We've got the Texas the the truck race at Texas, that will be on FS1 at 12 noon, 3 o'clock, I'm sorry, 1 o'clock on FS1, 4 o'clock for the Xfinity race on FS1. The ARCA East is racing at Southern National. That's going to be on NBC Gold Track Pass. The SRX has their first race of the season at Stafford Speedway. And, of course, IndyCar is racing at Bell Island, Bell Isle, uh, and, and that will be on NBC. That is a stacked day of racing, Jay. Uh, most certainly is, and I, I'd forgotten. I, I did see something on that. I forgot that the SRX, that was their debut, uh, as well as then the Arkham and RG. So, yeah, we're going to have quite the preview show on Thursday night, that's for sure. <laughs> Sunday, of course, is the Cup Series. Uh, there's the Open and then the All-Star Race. That's going to be fun uh, because they went to Texas this year for the All-Star Race. Uh, that starts at 
at 6 o'clock on FS1 with the Open and then uh, 8 o'clock for the All-Star Race. And IndyCar is also racing at Bell Island on Sunday, so a double header for the IndyCar. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot to talk about on our preview show. But let's the last race uh, for the Truck Series was at Charlotte Motorsports Carolina Education Lottery 200. Uh, let's take a look at the uh, driver points there. I'm sorry. Yeah, the driver points. All right. Well, looking at coming out of there, the driver points uh, pretty much remain the same based on another win. John Hunter Nemechek picking up his third win of the year, sitting on 22 playoff points. He has a 44-point lead over Ben Rhodes, who got two wins early on. He's also picked up a stage win, but that puts him at 11 uh, uh, playoff points. So right now there's an 11-point gap in the playoff points, and John Hunter Nemechek looking to uh, wrap up the regular season championship, which will also give him an additional 15 bonus points. Uh, so got some things to look forward to there. Looking down the list, so uh, we talked with them the other night, Austin Hill uh, is in third in points, has climbed his way back up into contention. Uh, doesn't have any race wins or points yet, but third in points. Fourth is Sheldon Creed, one win, one playoff stage, or one stage win, total of six playoff points. Todd Gillen also got the win now from Coda has two stage wins, so he's sitting on seven playoff points. And those are your top five. The rest of the uh, playoff contenders at this point, I'll say that at this point, Zane Smith is in <laughs> six, has one playoff point. Matt Crafton, Stuart Friesen, um, seventh and eighth, and they're at 145 and 152 back. Don't have any points as of yet. Then in ninth, this is where it gets interesting, ninth place, Nine out of ten starts is Grant Infinger. He has one stage win for one playoff point. I don't know. I have yet to see anything that he has applied for a waiver to NASCAR to be in the playoffs. Uh, being that he hasn't made all the starts, technically at this point he is not eligible, which would move Car- Carson Horsevar, rookie up, just got a second-place finish uh, there this past week at Charlotte. He is ninth, or Right now he's listed as 10th in points. Johnny Sauter, 11th, and they're at 181 back and 224 back. Uh, but that could be the establishing line if Grant Enfinger isn't given the waiver or even requests it. Like I said, I don't even know if they've requested it. So that's where we got to watch the, that area of the playoff cut line. And Johnny Sauter's at 221. Austin Wayne Self right behind him at 219. Chandler Smith, Chandler Smith at 211. A little bit surprising there with that with that, but, um, and then Tyler Ankrum, and we've seen him in the playoffs before is at two Oh four. So there's still some, uh, trucks that we know can win sitting right outside that cut line. And with Grant Enfinger there, we're not real sure where that cut line will be. Sharon. We'll see if Sharon uh, hit the wrong I'm button. I'm sorry, I had button. the mute button <laughs> there <you> on. Go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, right now, Johnny Sauter would be on the top side of that cut line, Jay, with, uh, if you take Grant Infinger out of the equation. And Austin Wayne Self would be the first driver just below 
that line. Now, when we talked to him last Thursday, he seemed to have some confidence, especially going into Texas. That's going to be uh, – he's from Texas uh, and has a lot of Texas sponsorship on his car. So that's going to be a big race for him. And he had a lot of confidence going into Texas. Uh, that, in, in fact, he talked about the next five races. He felt really good about the next five races, and he thought he might be able to set him, get himself on the other side of that cut line. He did. If if you listen to that interview and, and the confidence, like you mentioned, I think he did put it at about five races that they are really super excited about here coming up. Um, again, Johnny Sauter, unfortunately, having a little bit of a rough year for the second year in a row. A little concerned about that. Maybe we'll talk about that in hot topics. But uh, that cut line, uh, really interesting, especially now with Carson Hosevar, again, coming off a second-place finish, bumping himself up a little even above that. Exactly. So uh, it, it is going to be interesting to see what these guys are able to do uh, in this truck series. There's a number of drivers that are below the cut line that could end up with a win. Those next five races, let me just mention, include Texas on uh, June the 12th. Uh, then they'll be racing at uh, Pocono on June the 26th. The next uh, truck race would be, let me look a little further here, the next truck race, let me see if I missed it. Yeah, the truck series will be racing at Knoxville on Friday, July the 9th. Then we've got a truck series race on, let's see, let me skip a few races here. Oops. The Truck Series uh, will be racing at Watkins Glen, another road course, uh, and that will be on Saturday, August the 7th. So uh, is that five races? Yeah, I think that was the five. That's at least four. And Truck Series at Gateway on uh, August the 20th. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, th- I think that was through the stretch of, of Gateway is where he specifically talked about, at least for their team and, and him as a driver, uh, of what he was looking forward to. And the things they can learn in there, I'm sure they'll be excited to move into that next section as well, but that's where the focus is to get into the playoffs. Exactly. And keep in mind, that ends, those next five races will be the end of the uh, regular season for the truck series. So they only have five races left in order to make it happen to get themselves into the playoffs. And that's why as a fan and as an analyst, uh, these next five I'm excited for, not just for uh, Austin Wayne himself, but for this series, as you mentioned, that's going to establish their playoffs. Uh, so we definitely like to keep an eye on that. We talk about it every week, both on the review and preview show. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and uh, if you had to pick somebody below the cut line that uh, is going to come up with a win in those next five races, who would that be, Jay? Well, uh, being that right now technically Johnny Sauter is in, and I don't even know if I could pick him. We're talking with Austin Wayne Self. I, 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 I like his enthusiasm, but Tyler Ankrum is one that – has won before, so I kind of have to lean towards him. But then again, we expected so much out of Chandler Smith uh, 
as well in the number 18 for Cowboys Motorsports. So I think any one of those three, as well as Johnny Sauter, uh, you know, I know, like I said, he's struggling and, and had a rough go of it, but you can't ever count him out. He's the Truck Series champion for a reason. Uh, that is true. That is true. And uh, we've been talking about the second half of this season, seeing some of those drivers that are below the cut line uh, have improved races during this second half of the season in the truck series. So I'm kind of thinking that we are going to see somebody uh, kind of jump up or rise to the occasion, I guess, if you will. And I agree with you. I think Tyler Ankrum is one of those guys. Uh, I do think Austin Wayne Self is due a win. He's had some good runs, and this is by far, I think, one of his better seasons. Uh, I would love to see him make it into the playoffs. So uh, who knows? Maybe he'll get a win at Texas, his home state. The the tough thing there is you got to go back to the top of the list. In order to get that win, you got to go through John Hunter Nemechek. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is very, very true. Uh, not an easy task at all. But you never know what can happen, Jay. A lot of different things can happen. Especially on, you mentioned a couple of these road courses, uh, Road America and Watkins Glen, uh, I think could be a couple of huge ones. Um, Texas, I would have to go at, go with one of the, the favorites, the, the top hitters of the favorites. I know Kyle Busch Motorsports as a whole does really well there. Uh, was it Greg Biffle that stepped into a truck there a few years back and picked up a win? So uh, that might not be the, the strongest spot for him, but like you said, you never know. Well, I think Na- uh, Nashville uh, and Knoxville are both going to be uh, kind of unknowns uh, for a lot of these drivers and could really shake things up as well. And that's where I think you could see somebody – uh, on the bottom of that list, uh, rise to the occasion. And who knows? Haley Deegan's good on dirt. Uh, she could end up uh, having a good run at Knoxville. I, you're right. I had totally, totally forgot about Knoxville. And you're right. That plays into a, a whole different dynamic. And you're right. Bringing up hit rookie Haley Deegan there is one that could play into her, as well as Chandler Smith uh, as a short track driver. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so much dirt, but a short track driver. So. Uh, definitely could uh, mix things up there when we get when we hit the dirt at Knoxville. Okay, uh, so there's your update uh, from the truck series. Was there any news that we needed to hit on in the truck series, Jay? Uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head. I know. Uh, I think normally when we have news things, they come out Tuesday or Wednesday, so we might have some other information come Thursday on the preview show. Well, here's one bit. Brendan Poole is going to be returning to On Point Motorsports at Texas Motor Speedway. He'll be driving the number 30 Toyota Tundra uh, this coming weekend. So watch for Brendan Poole to be back on the track. And also, William Byron is returning to the truck series to drive the second injury for uh, Rackley War at Nashville Super Speedway. So that's going to be exciting for drivers as well. I know we talked about William Byron being one of them. I had not heard the one about Brennan Poole, and I am so happy to see that. Another one I love to see back in one of the top three series. Here's another bit of news that you'll want to make sure you know. Chase Elliott is competing in the truck race at GMS Racing for GMS Racing at Texas. 
So uh, he may be one of the favorites there. Well, I just talked about Cowbush Motorsports. I uh, might have to switch over to GMS at this point. <laughs> and Donnie Schatz is piloting the number 17 Little Giant Ford 150 uh, at the Camping World Truck Series race at Knoxville. So uh, just uh, some drivers to keep your eyes on in some of these upcoming races. Well, and I didn't have that ready for uh, for to talk about that yet, but if you don't know who Donnie Schatz is, he is a multi-time champion of the Nosh Energy World Outlaw Sprint Cars. Uh, he is going to be one of those. <laughs> I know he's run some late, uh, dirt late models as well. Uh, I'm very interested to watch to see he, how he does in the truck series uh, at Knoxville. We saw this when they ran at Eldora. We saw Kyle, uh, excuse me, Kyle Strickland, Mike Marler. Some of these drivers I'm more familiar with get those one-off, two-off starts. Uh, Donnie Schatz is one that certainly could be a game-changer. Yes, indeed. So, uh, again, some things for fans to be aware of for some of these upcoming races. Okay, now let's move on to the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course for the Xfinity Series. A.J. Allmendinger marched back from a late penalty to win at Mid-Ohio he had a remarkable run from the back of the field in the final stage. Uh, he charged to an overtime victory in the BNL Transport 170 and tied Marcus Ambrose for the most Xfinity Series road course wins all time. Uh, it was also, uh, despite getting a pit road penalty as the final stage for the BL Transport 170 race at Mid-Ohio Sportsway was set to get away, Mid-Ohio sports car course was set to get underway. Uh, A.J. Allmendinger charged through the field and won his second race of the season. Uh, He made it a three-wide bonsai move underneath the 54 of Ty Gibbs and the 22 of Austin Sendrick to get the lead on a restart with four laps to go, and he didn't look in Haley, finished second, making a colleague racing sweep. Of the front two positions, the number 54, Ty Gibson, ended up third. Uh, the sixth top five, finish in, top five finish in seven starts this season. It was Brandon Jones and Andy Lally rounding out the top five. Then Brandon Brown, Michael Levent, Josh Berry, and Ryan Sieg, uh, along with Josh Berry, making up the rest of the top ten. Almondinger and Haley won the first two stages, both recording their third stage wins of the season. There were seven lead changes among five drivers and seven cautions for 23 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 66.212. And a few fast facts here. Almondinger, it was the eighth annual BNL Transport 170 at Mid-Ohio. His seventh victory in 40 Xfinity Series races. His second victory in eighth top ten finish this year and second victory in third top ten finish in three races at Mid-Ohio Sports Park Course. Justin Haley posted his second top ten finish in two races at Mid-Ohio and his eighth top ten finish this year. Ty Gibbs in third posting his sixth top ten finish race finish this season uh, and he was the highest finishing rookie. So any thoughts there? 
I have a million thoughts there. Uh, we talk about this, <laughs> how the road course can change things up. We expected it to come down to Austin Sindrick and A.J. Allmendinger. You mentioned Austin yep. Sindrick being uh, up there in those final laps, got shuffled out a little bit, ended up, uh, let's see, 14th. But he led twice for 30 laps, uh, whereas A.J. Allmendinger led three times for only 23 laps. But that's how that played out. It's good to see Justin Haley have another good run. I know with college racing, the focus has kind of been on A.J. Allmendinger. And then Jeb Burton getting his first win. Justin Haley been the solid driver there for the past couple of years. Uh, maybe not quite as many highlights, but still uh, part of that team. And I think come playoff time is going to be a huge factor. Yeah. Then here, uh, even, totally even in, the, in the Xfinity series, Ty Gibbs with a, a third-place finish uh, started on the second row in there, mixing it up. I know he was a little unhappy with the way the, the final restart there came, but uh, he comes home in third. Brandon Jones, fourth. Andy Lally, great run for uh, Andy Lally. Uh, he is one of those that still gets the occasional starts, especially when it comes to road course, and he shows why. Definitely so. I think uh, all of those drivers had uh, great runs. Uh, when you think about Brandon Jones uh, finishing in that top five, uh, and then Brandon Brown, uh, what a race for him, as well as Josh Berry uh, coming home with a ninth place uh, finish there, and Ryan Sieg finally back in the top ten where you know he can uh, be. We'll talk about that when it comes to the points, but you're right. Huge, huge run for Brandon Brown. The Josh Berry story, that's another one that, again, he picked up another ride. It happens to be for the 31 of Anderson Racing, Jordan Anderson. That is huge. I mean, extremely huge for the team going into Texas. As, again, they don't have qualifying at all these races. They needed that team to get up there because they weren't getting to qualify, which means they weren't guaranteed a starting spot. With the runs that uh, I'm drawing a blank, Tyler Reddick uh, had for a couple of weeks, and that now Josh Berry, uh, I saw an interview with Jordan Anderson um, talking about that. They think they're in good shape to be locked into Texas, so that is huge for that team, as well as Josh Berry getting able to get some other rides in, being that his time with Junior Motorsports is about done. As Sam Mayer is going to take over that ride here. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's go ahead and cover the series point standings, Jay. All right, sliding over to that. Oh, oh why did it scroll down on me? Uh, Austin Sindrick is still your points leader, has built up 20 playoff points based off of three wins and five stage wins, holds a 77-point lead over Harrison Burton. Uh, the highlight there, Harrison Burton is now the top driver in the points without a win. That had been Daniel Hemrick. He's uh, slid back to fourth. Again, had a little bit of a hiccup this past weekend. In between there, though, third uh, place which, now, AJ. Are you looking at? I'm looking. Yeah, you're right. The right series. Yep. Point standing. Let me back up here. Uh, it doesn't appear so. i just looking at AJ Allmendinger's because it didn't have all of his wins on there. Let's see. Yeah. Should be, should be following mid-Ohio here. And try pulling that up one more time. Okay, while you're races. doing that, okay. I'm going to go ahead and go down. Do okay. you have it? Yep. 
I apologize for that. Okay. I clicked on the wrong link. Uh, Sindrick's stat line stays the same there, but it is a 96-point lead over Albendinger, who now has the two wins, three stage wins for 13 playoff points. And I see where you caught that, caught, caught that I was reading the wrong one. Daniel Hemrick is now back into third. Uh, well, <laughs> tied for third. Uh, take that back. Tied with Harrison Burton at 437 points. The two of them are the top two now uh, without a race win. Hemrick, though, has five stage wins for five playoff points. Harrison Burton only one. Now, fifth spot here, I mentioned it. Jeb Burton uh, has the one win for college racing. Is, gives him five playoff points. Justin Haley right behind him. No wins, but three stage wins for three points. No. Uh, Justin Allgaier has uh, two wins, so he's got uh, ten there, and one stage win gives him 11 playoff points. Talks about Brandon Jones. He's been uh, right in the ship, if you will, climbed up to eighth in points now. He is uh, 213 back. But more importantly, we've got to look at where he is above the cut line, and he's got a 70-point, nope, 20-something point advantage there. Get down to 12th here in the uh, Xfinity Series. And he does have one stage win for one playoff point. Then you got Jeremy Clements and Michael Annette. Don't have any. Noah Gregson. Uh, man, I don't even know where to start with him. Rough day 11 for him. Points. Yeah, another, another rough day. Uh, 11th in points sitting at 324 points. We'll come back to that in a minute. does have two stage wins for two playoff points. And that puts Myatt Schneider in the 12th spot, has one win uh, for five playoff points, sitting at 321. And that is your cut line right now for the Xfinity Series as far as the playoffs. Sharon highlighted Brandon Brown. He is 13th in points at 309, so is 12 points out. And you got to drop back to Riley Herbst, another one having just a roller coaster of a season. Uh, we've seen some great runs from him, but we've also seen some bad ones. So he's going to have to have a string of, of good ones there to make up uh, 42 points. And then you get into Ty Gibbs and Josh Berry making uh, limited starts. Ty Gibbs only seven starts, uh, but is at 272 points. Josh Berry now 11 starts out of the 13 sitting at 256. And Sharon mentioned another one, Ryan Sieg, uh, had a string of bad finishes, sitting at 244 points. So he's got uh, almost an 80-point deficit to make up and get in there and battle for the playoff spot unless he picks up a win. Yeah, he had a rough start to the season, but he is starting to get back into the top 10. Uh, And if he can step that up another notch, uh, he might be able to pick up some points. He's got a little ways to go there. Um, but uh, Ryan Sieg is a, a good driver. Some interesting things now, going on here in the Xfinity Series, Jay. There is. And the one thing I want to mention here, I read uh, reading that of uh, 321 points being the cut line, the issue here, and I think we're going to see it in the Cup Series as well, Myatt Schneider has a win and is at that cut line. If he gets pushed out, he actually gets back in based on the win, which means points-wise you actually do have to go up to Noah Gregson at 324. So in this case, it's not a huge gap yet up, only a three, and then Michael Annette, two more points up. But you do actually have to catch the 11th-place driver if Myatt Schneider is the one that's taken over 
because if he gets bumped out, the wind puts him right back in. Yes, indeed. Okay, I'm chasing the puppy, so I apologize <laughs> here. She's kind of getting herself into mischief here. That's what that's what puppies do, and that's that's what some <laughs> race car drivers do on the track too, especially on road courses. <laughs> we'll talk about that here with the Cup Series, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, so. Uh, anyway, I'm looking forward to these next few races uh, in the Xfinity Series because a lot can still happen. And, uh, again, there's drivers at the bottom of the list that could end up with a victory. And, and Ryan Sieg could be one of those guys uh, that could end up with a victory and put themselves on the top of that line. Riley, you're certainly could. showing some good signs lately, too. Those are two that I would have to agree with you and highlight as as the possible winners. But we've also seen uh, Brandon Williams and Josh Williams, uh, two that are putting up mm-hmm. solid one. Uh, you know, they say you keep putting yourself in fifth fifth place, the top five. Uh, that's putting you in position to get a win. So they're in that position. They certainly are. And, uh, and now we just wait and see. Uh, what happens. And again, uh, the Xfinity Series will be racing at Texas this weekend, uh, 4 o'clock Eastern time, uh, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. I believe Texas is the last Fox Sports broadcast uh, team uh, race. So that should be, uh, it will be switching over to NBC uh, the following weekend. Okay, I knew we were coming up on that. I didn't know uh, I was actually discussing that with my mom. Uh, in the past, it's always been 4th of July weekend and the Daytona race, but that all shifted this year. So I didn't know exactly where the cut line was this year. Well, this is it. Texas Motor Speedway is the last Fox Sports broadcast. So uh, just something, again, for fans to be aware of. Okay, let's go ahead and move on now to the Cup Series. Uh, the Cup Series race this weekend out at Sonoma, uh, and uh, what a race it was. <laughs> Let me see if I can find the info here. The last race, here it is, at Sonoma. Uh, they raced the Toyota Save Mart 350 Sunday, June the 6th, and uh, Kyle Larson uh, got his second straight victory uh, with a win at Sonoma. So he won last week, uh, last week's race at Charlotte, and then again at Sonoma. So uh, two big weeks for Kyle Larson. Uh, he dominated an action-filled Toyota Save Mart 350 uh, on Sunday, and through a state of late accidents and restarts, Larson held off Hendrick Motorsports teammate Chase Elliott and three-time Sonoma winner Martin Truex Jr. He claimed his second straight race in which he swept both the first and the second stages. So all three stage wins uh, go to Kyle Larson. Um, The win is his third of the year, the first at Sonoma, and the ninth career win of his uh, career. Uh, Elliott finishing in second, followed by Martin Truex Jr., Joey Logano, Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch, Ross Chastain, Denny Hamlin, Alex Bowman, and Ryan Blaney. 
Larson was the dominant driver all day. He started from the pole. As we mentioned, he he won all three stages and led 57 of 92 laps. The race ended after one overtime attempt brought on by a caution with three laps remaining. And uh, there were 13 lead changes among seven drivers, eight cautions for 18 yellow flag laps. Um, The average speed of the race was 71.445 miles per hour. Uh, It was the 32nd Toyota Save Mart 350. And uh, his Kyle Larson's ninth victory in 239 Cup Series races, his third victory and 11th top 10 finish this year, his first victory and second top 10 finish in seven races at Sonoma. Chase Elliott in second place, posting his third top 10 finish in five races at Sonoma and his 10th top 10 finish this year. Martin Truex in third, posting his sixth top ten finish in 15 races at Sonoma Raceway. Chase Briscoe, finishing 17th, was the highest finishing rookie, so maybe that Arca race did help him a little bit. Well, certainly any track time uh, doesn't hurt, but we got to start back up up at the top. Uh, Kyle Larson, and I know if you read this, the, the stat line, Led six times for 57 laps, by far the most laps led. Appears to be a dominating win. You mentioned the stage wins he got. But it, it really was a good race, and a lot of things shuffled out for it to come out with him having that, that kind of finish. Uh, he's got a strong car. We know that. He's been running up front and winning here as of late. Uh, but some of these, if you just look at the stat line, it's not as dominating as you think it is. The other, the other thing I look at there, you talk about to get that win, the drivers he beat. Uh, we've talked about Chase Elliott and look at his stat line as, as far as a NASCAR Cup Series driver of uh, being the king of road courses. And then Martin Truex right behind him. You mentioned having three wins out at Sonoma. So to beat, the, beat those two drivers uh, for sure, as well as the rest of the field that we've mentioned, they've all become good road course drivers. Uh, just an excellent job by Kyle Larson and Hendrick Motorsports, and they are just on point right now. Joey Logano, okay, good run here's... for him. I know. He... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. As you say, fi- finishing out the top five, Joey Logano, uh, one that would say, you know, road course racing is not his forte. I'm sure they're thrilled with where they ended up. Started 13th, finished fourth, um, and then Kyle Busch, uh, another one that. You know, he said, right now we're we're, we're, we're in a good place, but they know they're a little bit behind Hendrick Motorsports, and he has certainly uh, changed the first half of his season to the second half, picking up a win, back in the top five on a weekly basis. Just got to get that next little step to overcome the Hendrick Motorsports bunch. Okay, so yes, these guys are uh, really putting on a show at Sonoma Raceway uh, this weekend, and you're right, there's some surprises up there, Chas. Something we might talk about in uh, uh, Hot Topics tonight, he had that incident and drove right up up through uh, the center of the track there. There is some runoff area there that he drove right through and into line, but NASCAR said he 
he uh, put himself in the right position. Uh, I don't know how they determined that, but I thought that was interesting. Uh, he ended up uh, with a top 10 finish, which is really good. I'm a Chastain fan, so don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining about it. I just thought it was kind of an odd thing for him to do. Um, so uh, we'll talk about it in Hot Topics probably, Jay. All right. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that uh, as well as Kurt Busch, another one that has had some horrific luck as of late for sure. Uh, and we know started 30th to come back with a sixth-place finish. Good run from them. We'll talk about where he's at in the points. Um, but a, a good run for them. Got to try and uh, finish or turn the season around, especially here as we're getting down to on the cup side. I believe we got, let's see, six. Oops. I think, they're, uh, I think they have 16, so they have 10 races left before they're cut off for the playoffs. So, uh, not a huge amount of time, but a little bit more breathing room than the truck series at only five. That's true. And we're behind now on the Cup Series, so let's go ahead and get going. Oh, this is the Cup Series. What am I saying? Yeah, as I say, okay. that's where we're Never at, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm puppy delirious right yep, now. I got okay. you. I got you. <laughs> okay, uh, let's go ahead and cover the points. All right, that we can do, and uh, talked about that. Right now, their points leader with no wins but five stage wins and five playoff points is still Denny Hamlin. He's got a 47-point lead over Kyle Larson, picked up his third win, has 11 stage wins. This is huge. We talked about this. 11 stage wins gives him a total of 26 playoff points. I think the next closest is Truex at 18. So that could come into play when we talk about the playoffs when they start. Uh, third spot, that'll go to Chase Elliott. One win, one stage win for six points. William Byron, almost identical stat line. One, one win, one playoff, or one stage point for a total of six playoff points. Joey Logano, uh, one win, three stage wins for eight playoff points. Sixth spot, that's Martin Truex. He has the three wins and three stage points or stage wins for 18 playoff points, second most behind Kyle Larson. Seventh now, uh, worked his way up there. He was near the cut line at one point. Is Kyle Busch has the victory in his pocket now, two stage wins for a total of seven playoff points. Ryan Blaney, one win, three stage wins, eight points. Kevin Harvick, uh, this one matches with Denny Hamlin's stat line uh, a little bit. He doesn't have any wins or playoff points and is sitting eighth in, or ninth in points. Now we get down to the, where the cut line will be. Brad Keselowski is 10th, one win, one stage win, six, point, uh, six playoff points. Alex Bowman, two wins, give him, gives him 10 playoff points, uh, but he's down there near the bottom. So got to wonder, and there again, as of late, Hendrick Motorsports uh, team has been strong. So we'll see once he gets to reset up towards the top. Then we got 12th place, Austin Dillon. He's at 436 points. Uh, no points in the bank, though. Same with Tyler Reddick at 398. 14th is Chris Busher. He does have one stage win for one playoff point. He's at 391. 15th is Christopher Bell, 364 points. Uh, one 
win, so gives him five playoff points. Same for 16th place, Michael McDowell is at 355 points, one win for five playoff points. So technically, that's your cut line. Uh, 16th place, 355 points. Come back to that in a minute. 17th is Matt DiBenedetto. He does have one stage win, one playoff point at 331 points. He is 24 points behind 16th place Michael McDowell. Kurt Busch is now three more behind that. Uh, Doesn't have any points built up, though. Ricky Stenhouse, Ross Chastain, Bubba Wallace, and Daniel Suarez. Ryan Newman, Ryan Priest, and Eric Jones all the way down to 25th there. What I want to highlight here in this case is even more extreme. I mentioned Matt DiBenedetto, <laughs> 331 points. To get to 16th is 24 points. However, if he gets there, Michael McDowell's out of the top 16 but has a win, puts him back in. So you move up, 364 points. That would mean DiBenedetto would have to pick up 33 points. That's Christopher Bell. Same thing. He has a win. If he gets out, uh, he's back in based on the win. So realistically, if you are points chasing to get in, you got to go up to 14th place, Chris Busher at 391, and that's now a 60-point gap for Matt DiBenedetto to make up. So there's two drivers with wins right on the cut line that if they get pushed out, they're going to get to jump back in. Uh, makes it even that much more important uh, highlighting the win. All right. Uh, give Sharon a minute here uh, if she had to take care of the puppy. The other thing I wanted oh, to I'm highlight sorry. there. Uh, what I was saying, oh. Jay, is that uh, how many drivers without wins now and only how many races left uh, in the regular season uh, for the Cup Series? Uh, that's going to be the interesting thing here. Because there are drivers, Daniel Suarez has been having uh, a good run lately. Uh, Kurt Busch had, was up in the top ten. Ross Chastain could be knocking on the door of a victory. Uh, there's some interesting things going on here in this series. There is. You, you mentioned it, five in the top 16 that do not have a win. Two of them I would say pretty secure, one of them definitely being Danny Hamlin. The other is Kevin Harvick, who again has had been having solid runs, uh, but doesn't have that win, and is in ninth place. So that one would be a little more interesting. Yes, indeed. I, I just think this is uh, going to be an interesting uh, storyline uh, going into the next several races. We have 16 races in, 10 more to go, uh, I think, uh, for the regular season, and uh, five drivers without a victory that could be a jeopardy uh, because, like you say, if somebody below that cut line wins, it's going to knock them out uh, in favor of the people that have the win. Yeah, it it could, and and it could be interesting. And there we're talking about several teams that we've seen have the capability, have come really close. Uh, So it could be interesting. And I mentioned earlier, this year, the cutoff race for the playoffs is Daytona, which means anybody could win. Yeah. 
that is a, a wild card for sure, especially for being a cutoff race. Uh, it gives a lot of different drivers that chance. And who knows, Michael McDowell may end up with two victories. That certainly is another possibility. We still have a couple more road courses coming up. Uh, he had a good run going here uh, in the closing laps of Sonoma. I know there was some shuffling up there at the final, uh, the final part of that race and some hurt feelings and bent fenders, as they say. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay. Um, we are coming up on the top of the hour here, which means that uh, we're going to be going into NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off uh, and joining us uh, for Hot Topic Sound Off uh, tonight, we have uh, two people. Michael is here. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Hello. How's everybody doing tonight? <laughs> We're doing well. Uh, and then also joining us, we've missed him the last uh, year, is Owen Stewart. Welcome to the show, Owen. Yeah, thank you. I know it has been a while. My uh, entrance isn't as exciting as Michael's, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come up with some cool entrance uh tradition here soon don't worry about it <laughs> <laughs> sounds like fun okay so with that uh let's go into our nasa hot topic sound off here for tonight and uh owen i'm going to give you a shot at the first topic all right uh so recently news came out today that jtg doherty would not be entering the number 37 car driven by Ryan Priest into the All-Star Open race this weekend at Texas. Um, as I'm sure you're both aware, the 37 is an uncharted, unchartered car, but they do run every race, or they have to this point. Um, I was just wondering, uh, what are your initial reactions to this de- decision, uh, and is, is it a good or bad idea for them financially for the future? Okay, Mike, we'll let you uh, kick it off. It's unfortunate, but it's not really a surprise. Like Owen said, uh, the number 37 car, JTG, does not have a charter. Uh, They do field two cars. The number 47 of Ricky Stenhouse is the other one, and they do have a charter on that car. So JTG will be fielding at 47 at the All-Star Race. All chartered teams are required to. But I think it's a good move to not field the 37. Realistically, the likelihood of winning a million dollars and really a million bucks isn't that much money because these cup teams these days, the, the, the likelihood of winning that million dollars is far, far, far less than spending a whole bunch of money to prepare a race car, to drive it all the way to Texas, wad it up, and have to rebuild it with a team that doesn't get the revenue sharing from the charter system. So it's unfortunate, but I think it's probably the right move for JTG. Okay. Jay, your thoughts? Well, since I get to talk before Owen, I'm going to say you got to take a look at the analytics, or in this case, when you talk about accounting, the cost analysis. So those are my words for the day. Um, <laughs> I, I'd have to agree with Mike. They, they probably sat down and looked at it logistically. It is not a chartered team. Uh, we know that they, that they talked about possibly maybe not even being able to make all the races as it was. So if they have to skip one, a non-points race would be the one to skip. Uh, it's a shame. Uh, you know, he asked what my first thought was. It's a shame because I hate to see that. The, the one thing I look at is, and I don't know what the starting pay for the All-Star race is. I know the million on the line for the winner, but 
of I've always felt like the All-Star Open is one of the most competitive and exciting races, uh, whether it be at Charlotte, whether it be at Bristol or now Texas. I think Texas is going to provide the same as what Charlotte did. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, that that All-Star Open, those guys racing to get in. But that also leads to what Mike talked about. If you don't win and get in or get the, the fan vote, you're probably talking about the cost of loading up a crumpled-up car. And, and, yeah, I'm sure the math doesn't quite come out right on that. So I understand their decision to have to skip it, but I do I do think it's a, such a shame. Ah, okay. I guess I have to agree with everybody else. Uh, I think cost played into this decision, and uh, I do think it's a shame because Ryan Priest is a good driver. Uh, he's had some good uh, races, uh, you know, for the situation that he's in. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of sad not to see him be able to race in the Open uh, to get a chance to be in the All-Star race. Uh, but understandable at the same time, uh, for all the reasons that you guys have detailed, uh, the, not not being a charter uh, and, you know, the cost of doing business, uh, especially when you have a, a very high chance of getting a crumpled up car. So why take that chance? So, Owen, I'm going to lead it right back to you. Yeah, I think you, all three of you kind of said pretty much what I was thinking. I mean, I when I saw the announcement, I think it didn't really catch me by surprise because I remember reading at the beginning of the year that they, uh, as of now, were only planning to run 24 races with that car. And we've already gone through 16 of those races. So if that plan is still uh, in line to happen, then they only have eight more races scheduled for that number 37 car this season. Um, That may have changed depending on what they've been able to fill up with sponsorships. Um, But I haven't read anything saying that, you know, they're planning to run 30 or planning to run 36. So as of now, I'm assuming they're still trying to manage the races they're going to run and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think if they're going to skip a race, the all-star race, which doesn't give out points, would be the one to do because, like you all said, the chance of winning that million dollars is slim to none, especially because the open race is so competitive and there are going to be a lot of solid cars in the open race. Um, and as far as I could remember, Priest was not all that high in the fan vote either. So, uh, yeah, it, it is disappointing. Uh, regardless of how you feel about the charter system, this is one of the consequences of the charter system as you get uh, pretty competitive teams like the 37 who uh, are left without a charter and then they're kind of have to fend for themselves without as much money. Okay, Mike, any follow-up? Yeah, it's kind of disappointing to see Ryan Priest on kind of a losing end of the, uh, the charter system deal this year. He's having a much better year than he had last year. I think he had a string of four or five last-place finishes last year. And this season, he hasn't won a race, obviously, and he hasn't really been in contention to win, but he's put forward a much more solid effort this season. I really hope that the, the missing the All-Star race, even though it's not a points race, I really hope it doesn't break that team's momentum and they're still able to get out there and put out a great effort like they have so far this year. It is a little surprising that I'm assuming their sponsor, Kroger, had to sign off on them not showing up there and that probably was part of the initial sponsorship deal with them was that they were going to miss at least the All-Star race, if not other races. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a, a bad deal for Ryan Priest and the 37 team, unfortunately. Okay, Jay, your follow-up thoughts? Well, two things, and one of them might, might not make me a popular person on this show or otherwise, but 
First thing I want to say <laughs> is, is that that NASCAR needs to look at the charter system for this reason. And I know we've talked about that of a couple that are running on char- borrowed charters or rented charters for the, the year this year. What we're going to look at next year with that, that maybe that, that time has passed or there's another way to go about it to still reward the teams that are showing up on a weekly basis but not rule out or push out the ones that maybe can't, that they still have that opportunity. And I think of Jordan Anderson in the Xfinity series when, it, when we talk about that. The, mm-hmm. uh, the, the thing I said might not make me popular is this is something that kind of puts it back into the hands of Charlotte Motor Speedway hosting the all-star race every year because it is a hometown event. The cost of travel uh, plays into that. So uh, I know that's I'm one that I like to see that race alternate uh, and be at different places. But again, if you look at long-term health of the sport and NASCAR trying to help the owners, uh, that might be something to look at as far as keeping it as one closer to the Charlotte hub. Oh, I hate to say it, but that is a good point, Jay, because I'm like you. I would like to see it rotate to different tracks, uh, but that uh, definitely is a, a point uh, for having it at Charlotte Motor Speedway and with regard to the cost of doing business for teams like Ryan Priest. Um, so I don't really have a whole lot more to say. I think you guys all bring up uh, excellent points. And, uh, again, I just think it's a shame that we're not going to see Ryan Priest in the Open this year. And uh, we'll have to wait and see if NASCAR takes note of the situation and how they respond to it. Uh, Owen, your final thoughts. I think just um, when I read the announcement, my first thought was kind of going towards how I feel about the charter system because I'm kind of very uh, flip-floppy on how I feel about it. On one hand, I think that it does, you know, incentivize teams to show up every week and to keep showing up, but it also makes it a lot more difficult for newer teams to get into the series. Um, And I I guess that's a consequence that NASCAR is kind of just accepted as uh, part of the fate of having a charter system. Uh, But this is one of its biggest faults is when you have cars uh, like the RWR 51, 52, 53, and the Starcom double zero that, get to run every week and are getting bigger payouts than the JTG 37, even though Priest is, I think, 24th in points right now. He's consistently in the line to run in the top 20. I mean, he's a, he's a legitimately competitive car. Um, and I know they have rules against drivers that finish in below a certain number in owner's points each year. They can possibly lose their charter. But as we've seen with RWR, there are technicalities that allow them to get around that. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting if this announcement actually causes NASCAR to take a look at that charter system and take a look at those rules and try to make them a little more stringent, uh, maybe just come up with some exceptions, like you guys said, for cars that still show up every week even without a charter. Yeah, the cost is still there, but, yeah, it's just an unfortunate situation. Okay, um, let's go to Mike for the next top topic. So we're a little bit past halfway in the season, and what a major change we've seen over this past probably month and a half or so 
in terms of the complexion of the season. We went from the beginning of the season where we had a different winner every single week and a level of parity that we really haven't seen in the sport in many, many years. So all of a sudden, the sport is just dominated by Hendrick Motorsports. They've won four of the last four races, and every single time they've had at least the first two finishing positions, and they went four for four at Dover and almost went four for four again at Charlotte. Kyle Busch ended up spoiling that party. So my question here is, is Hendrick Motorsports peaking too early, kind of like Kevin Harvick did last year, or do we see Hendrick Motorsports continue to dominate as the summer progresses? Okay, Jay, your first thought. My first thought was it's nice to have Mike back, somebody to have uh, some spirited discussion with. Uh, now, um, I don't, I don't really. I know when we look at the first half of the season, Mike's right. There was parity as far as the win column, but truthfully, Kyle Busch, or I'm sorry, wow, made that mistake. Kyle Larson could have won three or four of those first 13 races that we were talking about. There being different winners. So I'm not sure that Hendrick Motorsports is necessarily peaking. I think they're just getting the wins more often. Now, a couple of the teams, Alex Bowman, one of them, picking up the two wins, running top five, top ten every week, has certainly uh, bumped up and improved, as well as Chase Elliott got, uh, got off to kind of a slow start. Uh, I don't even know, but maybe one or two races where he was in contention for the win, uh, which we're seeing him move up again to top five or top two, if you will. So I don't know that they're peaking. I think they've been pretty solid all year long. They just weren't getting the victories uh, to, mar- to make it as obvious as it is right now. Um, but there is still that concern of are they at that level now, where else can they go to grow, whereas everybody else can catch up. So that concern still is, is are you too strong at the beginning of the year versus at the end of the year? But with history we've seen in the past, Chase Elliott last year, for example, uh, I don't think we have to worry about that. But I wasn't worried about Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin last year either, and we know where that went. (laughs) Okay, Owen, your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's kind of difficult to say whether or not I I would say they're peaking too early. Um, But what I will say is that I haven't seen – a race like Sonoma in which a car can basically just completely disregard all strategy and just start wherever they want and drive through the field with essentially no effort the way Kyle Larson did. And then basically the only one he really had to battle for the win was Chase Elliott, who's another Hendrick car. So they're definitely at an unprecedented level of dominance right now. So I will say that I don't think that that is going to continue I have a hard time believing they're going to continue to finish 1-2 every single race. But um, like has already been said, I think that they have been pretty strong all year. Definitely a step up from where they've been in the past few years. All four of those cars are running well right now. Even Bowman's up to 11th in points. And I think for a while he was, even with two wins, he was down 13th, 14th, 15th in points. So they're all running really well. Uh, but we're also seeing Team Penske start to slide a little bit, and I have a feeling they're going to bounce back. Um, I'm sure Truex, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin will get their share of wins too. Uh, but I, I'm not going to say they're going to fall awfully, though. I think Hendrick has taken a large step forward this year. Okay. Um, I've been doing a lot of thinking while you guys are talking. I'm going to start off, though, with just saying that it is really, really tough 
to keep that kind of momentum going for 26 races or 36 races. Um, and Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin are good examples of exactly that last year. Uh, they had such a good start during the regular season, and and it just fell apart during the 10-race playoff. Um, but the, here's my other thought, and I'm debating, I've been debating myself whether I should bring this up or not, because uh, it's going to sound like I'm a negative Nelly. Um, I'm really not. But I think about when Kevin Harvick was winning all those races and Denny Hamlin was winning a lot of races, a lot of drivers are watching those cars, and they're noticing different things. And I've got a feeling it's just a matter of time before somebody starts talking about what Hendrick Motorsports is doing that nobody else is doing. And I've got to wonder if at some point we're going to find out what that is or at least the other teams are going to find out what that is, and they're all going to start catching up with what they're doing. Um, I, my worry is that it's something illegal, uh, and then that's what kind of puts a halt to some of these uh, uh, great runs uh, that start happening. And that's why it is so hard to have <laughs> that that kind of run for 36 races or 26 races even. So we'll see what happens, but I've got a sneaky feeling that there's something going on there uh, because Cal Larson's car was just amazing how it could come up through that field and uh, be able to, to run, just fly past, in some cases, these other cars. Now, I don't want to take anything away from Kyle Larson's ability, though, either, because he is an outstanding driver. He made some incredible moves on that racetrack. So I'm not going to take anything away from his skill because he certainly has it. But uh, I do think that there's something going on there. So, Mike, your thoughts on this? Well, we're kind of in uncharted territory as far as Hendrick Motorsports is concerned. Um, Hendrick Motorsports just recently became the winningest team in NASCAR history. They eclipsed Petty Enterprises with 269 wins now as the record and counting. Um, but the, the vast majority of those wins are attributed to Jimmy Johnson and Jeff Gordon. Well over half of Hendrick Motorsports total wins is on the back of those two drivers. And very rarely has Hendrick Motorsports had one, more than one car be a legitimate contender every single week. Uh, Jeff Gordon was the only Hendrick Motorsports car that was a week-in, week-out race-winning car back when Jeff was racing in the 90s and the 2000s. And then they really became a two-car team with Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson, and occasionally Dale Earnhardt Jr. or Brian Vickers or some of the other drivers for the team would sneak in there and grab a win. But they never had the top-to-bottom dominance like they were seeing this year with all four cars being, having race-winning speed every single weekend. And the other thing that's a little odd here is the typical Hendrick Motorsports pattern that we've seen over the past probably 10 years or so is they start hot. Um, Chase Elliott in the nine car has really only been, been the only really contending car at Hendrick Motorsports. And what they would do is they'd win a race early, and then you wouldn't hear from them for the rest of summer. He would go from contending for wins in the mm -hmm. early spring to mid-pack for the rest of summer and then suddenly get hot again in the playoffs, like you said. Well, 
Now, Hendrick Motorsports is hot every single weekend with every single car. So there's a very different pattern to look at in trying to figure something out. And I'm wondering if that summer slump is coming, but it's going to come a little bit later and possibly overlap into the playoffs, which would obviously be a bad thing for that team. Okay, Jay. Wow, Mike was actually on the same thought pattern as me there. Uh, yeah, I think back to, to Jimmy Johnson uh, uh, of having that stretch of, uh, I know some people referred to it as sandbagging or coasting, um, but I think one of the things you look at with Hendrick Motorsports, there, there's a couple different things. Uh, Chad Ganaus moving from one car to overall in the uh, competition uh, director position uh, so that's one thing that I think might be leading to that of all four teams being more on par and up at the top, as well as then you brought in some different drivers. Uh, we've seen that in the past. Uh, I, I think about Richard Childress Racing when they brought in Tyler Reddick, and that upped Austin Dillon's game and elevated the entire team. So Kyle Larson coming in, and I know uh, Sharon and I have talked to him personally about this. He, he always says he doesn't, uh, doesn't know any of the mechanics of the cars. He doesn't know anything about it, doesn't, uh, can't answer any questions. He's like, talk to the crew chief. But I think he has developed. I think he has changed as a driver. So I think that something like that, as well as, again, the change with Chad Knauss going from one crew chief to an overall uh, director, I think are a couple of things that at least have to have contributed to what we're seeing right now with HMS. But you're right, it can't sustain forever. We look back at, uh, I want to say it was three years ago, I think it was Joe Gibbs Racing had 19 wins uh, amongst their drivers uh, over the season. So are we looking at that, and how long does it last? Uh, right now we're talking about, and you mentioned that Joe Gibbs Racing, uh, sorry, Martin Truex has three wins, Kyle Busch has one, uh, Christopher Bell has one, and who am I missing there from JGR? Uh, Danny Hamlin uh, doesn't have the win, but obviously has been one of the strongest cars week in and week out. That's why he's atop the points lead without the win. So they're not that far off, uh, which is, you know, we've talked about that before. If Kevin Harvick's having a bad season by running top 10 every week because of the bar he set himself, same thing here. Joe Gibbs Racing is not having a bad season. Uh, they're just a little bit off, and Hendrick has stepped up that little bit. So comparatively, it looks like it, but they're really not. So I think I think the playoffs could be real interesting. Like Mike said, it, whether or not we see that Hendrick Motorsports summer uh, slump, if you want to call it that, and where other teams then step up and make close that gap just a little bit. Okay, Owen, your thoughts? Yeah, I think the uh, the rest of the summer is going to be really intriguing going into the playoffs. I think the schedule uh, kind of opens up some intriguing uh, just outlook as well. I mean, we're going to Nashville after the All-Star Race, which is a track that we haven't run, obviously, in over a decade. Then you've got the Pocono doubleheader, Pocono being a pretty unique track. And then there's a stretch of three road courses in a five-week span at Road America, Watkins Glen, and then the Indy Road Course. So, Going through the rest of the summer, there's going to be a unique stretch of tracks on the schedule in which we may see either Hendrick pull further ahead from the competition or, like Sharon said, I mean, teams are looking at what they're doing, obviously, and they're probably going to figure something out. I find it hard to believe that Hendrick will just continue to dominate the way they have been, and maybe other teams use that unique stretch as a way to kind of close this gap a little bit. Um, But 
I do think that bringing Kyle Larson in has elevated the entire team. Uh, his talent as a driver uh, really cannot be overstated. And you look at guys like, you know, Byron and Bowman, who are probably just coming into their prime, maybe even – this might not even be any of those other three drivers' primes. This is just the upswing of their career. I mean, they have three young drivers, and I guess Kyle Larson would be the veteran of the team, and he's not necessarily old either. So they really have a four-car team that is set for the future, all with guys who can win races. They're just in a great position right now. Yeah, I agree with all of you. Uh, Going back to what Mike said about the 10 races, uh, there's 10 races to go. That's about when Jimmy Johnson would start slacking off and coasting to the playoff, and then he'd come alive again during the playoff. Uh, So I wouldn't be surprised if they don't start doing that. They've got all four drivers in the playoffs, and it's very possible that they could make that happen again. Are giving Chad Knauss more time to plan for those 10 races in the playoff and not worry about uh, these next 10. Um, So just, just a note there. Uh, Jay, you brought up Chad Knauss being at the lead of uh, Hendrick Motorsports and overall four cars now. That's a really good point as well because uh, we know what Chad Knauss did for Jimmy Johnson and, and, and the success that they saw. And, you know, over, uh, you know, seven championships uh, over a decade uh, is nothing to, to uh you know, take lightly. Uh, That was a great success. And if he's on the verge of doing that now with four young drivers, I say, you know, competition beware, uh, because that's going to be huge if that's, that's what's making this difference. But I also have to agree that Kyle Larson uh, being part of that team uh, has kind of spurred all of the other drivers uh, to have success as well, and they're having some of the best uh, careers, you know, the best season of their careers uh, across the board there. So I think that, that that's all uh, really good. But I still say that it's tough to sustain that. Yeah, they might take a break here over the next 10 races if we look at the pattern that was established by Jimmy Johnson. Uh, but if that happens, I guarantee they're going to come alive again during the playoffs, and Chad Knauss is probably going to be a big part of that. Um, and and so to answer the question about are they peaking too soon, maybe they're setting themselves up for that rest before they go to the playoffs and to give Chad Knauss and, and his organization, uh, because it is the entire organization covering all four cars, that opportunity uh, to plan for those 10 races in the playoff. And uh, Chad Knauss is a planner in that way, uh, and I would not be surprised to see that happen as well. So uh, are the other drivers watching what's going on? Yeah, but if they, if they slack off now, they don't have much to look at. So <laughs> it could be an interesting strategy uh, that they're putting in play here. So I'd say watch out. Mike, your th- final thoughts. 
Well, I opened it up talking about the complexion of the season and how it's changed substantially from the beginning half of the season to where we are now. And we're about to enter a stretch of the schedule that is completely unrecognizable in terms of what we have come to expect from the Cup Series schedule. Like Owen said, we have several brand-new racetracks where these teams have never raced before. Uh, Nashville, Road America, and the Indy Road Course all coming up very shortly. And... I think we may end up seeing another massive change in complexion to the season. What that means, I have no idea, but I'm really interested to see how it plays out. Okay. Uh, I like that discussion. That was a fun one. Okay. Uh, Jay, you're up. All right. Well, I'll put the topic out there. Uh, Sharon, just so you keep an eye on the time uh, here at what point you want to uh, jump in. But, yeah, uh, let me go ahead top... and jump in now. Let me go ahead and okay, jump in okay. now so we can just start okay. out fresh. Okay, uh, we're coming up to the uh, 10.30 time frame, and for those people that are tuning in for the first time, we'd like to just give you a, a heads up that we are going off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. However, uh, we are going to continue our conversation past that mark uh, and that part of our conversation is still being recorded so that you can hear that as part of the bonus overtime material on our podcast. Now, I'll go out on Twitter as soon as we're done here just to let everybody know that the podcast is available. And then if you want to go uh, to the player and fast forward to the two-hour mark, you can hear the rest of our conversation. Uh, podcast listeners will be able to listen straight through. But, uh, again, we just like to give a warning uh, for those people that may be tuning in for the very first time to our Fan for Racing radio show here. So with that, Jay, go ahead and give us our next topic. All right. Uh, trying to look where the Twitter feeds that came from. It was actually NASCAR and NBC. The question was, should road courses specifically have the stages and the stage breaks. Uh, those, those races are normally shorter in duration anyway. When you break it up into stages, it's uh, anywhere from 15 to 20 laps per stage. So the question of whether or not they should have the stage breaks. And then there was a follow-up of whether or not they should still give the points versus uh, actually stopping or putting out the caution and bunching up the field. Okay, you mean give the points for the stages? That was one of the secondary follow-ups of, of yes, of, you know, at lap, lap whatever, the points are still awarded, but you don't throw the caution and stop the field uh, for, a, for a pit stops. You just, whatever, on that lap, it's scored. Whatever they were running, the points are awarded anyway. Interesting. Okay, Owen, your thoughts. I actually would be perfectly okay if they did that, not only at road courses, but at all tracks. Um, I'm not a huge, like, enemy, I guess, of stage racing. I do enjoy the ex the extra incentive to race hard early to try to get those points, especially on the oval tracks. But I do think that at a road course where, like you said, it, the races aren't that long anyway, I think it kind of goes against the strategy of, many of the teams have to plan around those cautions and it kind of just plays it into one strategy. Basically either you're going to pit before the stage or you're going to pit at the uh, stage end. And I'd be all right if they just, you know, like you said, awarded points to the top 10 
at that assigned lap without having to stop the field and bunch them all up again. Uh, I think it messes with the flow of the race, especially at a road course where they're not that long. And it definitely takes out the uh, fuel mileage race possibility. And I think that's more of an oval thing than a road course thing. But um, I wouldn't mind seeing them switch to that format. I do like the extra points being awarded, but I'm not so sure that a caution is always necessary to do that. Uh, So, yeah, I, I agree with that. Okay, Mike? Well, there's a couple different things going on here. One, like Owen said, you have the the strategy that comes in with the stage breaks and the cautions. Uh, Normally, uh, you would see drivers try and pit ahead of the stage break to try and get the service done prior to the stage break to play track position uh, for the resumption of the race at the beginning of the next stage. Kyle Larson completely broke that model this weekend by just having a bad, fast race car that he could just drive through the field at will. But – they, they mentioned it during the TV broadcast where up to this weekend, nobody had won a stage at Sonoma and then gone on to win the race. In fact, the stage one winner, I think their average finish during stage racing was 33rd. So it, it really does change the complexion of the race. Now, the Xfinity race really highlights the problem with throwing those caution flags for the stage break. The Cup Series is not as bad because of live pit stops and the pit stops don't take that long. But the Xfinity race this past weekend at Mid-Ohio, being an uh, a independent event, they were not doing live pit stops. They had a minimum time on pit road that their cars had to be on pit road for service, and they had the field frozen. So they had to re- if cars decided to pit, they had to realign their starting positions, and it was just painful to watch. I think it took almost 15 minutes between each stage break during the Xfinity Series race to get the field realigned, serviced, and ready to race again. And with as long as the laps are at road courses, that creates a lot of dead time where it's not, there's nothing going on on the racetrack, especially during a race where the pit stops don't really count for anything aside from getting the car ready to race again. So it really takes away from the action that could potentially be going on on the racetrack. With regard to the points, uh, even if they get rid of the stage break caution, uh, I think it's incredibly important that they do still award the points for wherever the stage break would be. And the reason for that is if they do away with those points, it instantly devalues those races because every other race on the schedule where you have those normal stage breaks where points are awarded, you've got the potential to earn far more points to include playoff points that now would not be available to road course. So obviously that would direct the team's attention to focus on being prepared for the races where more points are on the line, especially those playoff points that can take them through to Phoenix for the championship. So, If they do away with the stage break cautions at road courses, I could see it go either way. I think the restarts at Sonoma were a lot of fun. They were entertaining. They provided a lot of action on the racetrack, as well as at the previous road course races at uh, Daytona and uh, and whatnot. I think it was an entertaining thing to see, and I think it added value to the race. But I can also see how some value can be added without stopping the action and slowing the whole race down, especially, once again, for races that don't have live pit stops in the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series. Okay. Yeah, I think you guys bring up some interesting points. I'm going to play devil's advocate, though. Um, And I understand the point. Uh, I really do. Uh, And I could go either way on this. I'm just kind of taking a different point of view uh, for the sake of taking a different point of view. Um, I do think that there's still a strategy that's playing out, uh, whether it's the the rules that they raced at Mid-Ohio or the rules that they raced in the cup race 
at Sonoma. Mid-Ohio, I think if they took fuel, they couldn't change tires. If they took tires, they couldn't take fuel. And they had so many seconds, depending on which that they did, uh, to take care of it. And then they could keep their position on the track. Uh, and to me, I thought that was interesting to see how it played out. Uh, I hadn't seen that before, and I thought it was kind of interesting to see how different drivers chose to do different things at different times and and how that played out because some people were staying out on their tires and other people were not. So uh, tire wear kind of played in. And I, I forget now, was it the cup race or the truck race or the Xfinity race? I think it was the Xfinity race where they actually, I mean, sorry, the cup race where they actually ran out of tires and they were at a point where if they needed to stop for tires again, which they were at that point, uh, Jamie Little was showing how they'd have to put on old tires that were pretty well beat up uh, in order to, to make a tire change. So they had to decide are the older tires, can we find a set of tires that are not that worn out that we can put on these cars? So I think that there's still some drama. There's still a good product uh, and a lot of strategy that's playing out with the with the, the, the kind of rules and things that they were putting in place in, in both Sonoma and Mid-Ohio. I like the stage racing. Uh, I really like it at the ovals. I see what the point is at the um, uh, road courses. Again, I could go either way on this, but uh, I, I, I'm not opposed to the idea of giving the points at that lap. Uh, I don't know how hard that is for NASCAR to, to determine where everybody is. I guess that the timing and scoring will take care of that, and when they can award the points and announce who the, who the top ten were, uh, but I do like the strategy that has to play out when they stop, too. I, I think there's still strategy that's playing out. Um, and and I thought it was entertaining and fun to watch. I'm like Mike. I, I enjoyed watching the stra- different strategies play out and the different things that drivers were doing. And you're right. Kyle Larson kind of broke the mold uh, again with his car. He was just on, on a different planet with uh, what he was able to do on the on the track. So, but that's not going to happen every time either. So I, I, I'm not necessarily uh, proposing ending the stage racing. I still think it has value, and I'd like to see it stay. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? My my issue here is the fans. They, they, they holler for what they want. They get it. NASCAR gives it to them, and then they don't <laughs> want it no more. Uh, that that's really what it's coming down to, to me. Uh, there is a point to be made, and, and I, I noticed this in the in the first ones that we did with stage racing on the road courses. Uh, on oval tracks, they try and set the stages so that fuel uh, fuel mileage doesn't come into play uh, in strategizing that. On a road course, that's harder because of the shorter number of laps. So I, I understand the point of that on a road course, I would be one that would be in favor of maybe not having them. But I I hate to say this, Mike made a very excellent point. You can't take away that from one race if it's a road course uh, because then, as he put it, it devalues that one. 
Um, so you have to at least keep the points there one way or another. Whether or not there's a caution for it, uh, I have changed. I do, I do think it is a good thing. It does provide some excitement, uh, especially on road courses or short tracks when you bunch the field up. Uh, initially, when they announced this, I was against it. If If you guys remember... Going back to it was the preliminary to this was actually set in the truck series. They said if we don't have a caution after 20 minutes, I think it was a clock. It was a time thing. If we don't have a caution on its own at 20-minute mark, we're going to throw one. I was not in favor of that, of a manufactured caution to create that. Okay, The stage racing kind of does that, but on the other hand, it is also quite the same. Uh, because they are setting it ahead of time at this lap and this lap, not, you know, if 20 minutes go, you could have four or five. And, again, there weren't ever that many in the truck series because the races weren't that long, but um, it fluctuated because if there was one for some other reason, then that clock restarted. So I really wasn't in favor of that. I thought when they did bring in the stage racing and assigning the points uh, in that, that worked good for creating that competition mid-race, whether or not they bring out the actual caution, I'm kind of sharing. I could go either way because I think even at other races, uh, oval track or not, if you just marked on that on that lap, you did a scoring sh- uh, screenshot, whatever, you could easily do that with the technology we have today, go back and award those points. Uh, the caution doesn't necessarily have to come out. But by bringing it out, you get the restart, you get the action, you get the different strategies, and that's what the fans supposedly wanted was to see that, especially when a race got strung out and they said there was no real racing. I don't know if uh, I could name any fans that said things like that, Mike. Um, So that's all I got to say. (laughs) Okay, Owen, your follow-up? Yeah, I think the stage racing argument is always going to be around as long as it's here. There are going to be fans who say that it's it's fake racing, and then there are going to be fans who say they like it because it causes more close racing, which, again, I'm kind of on the fence about it. I actually was thinking of just, like, alternatives, ways they could kind of, you know, still provide the best of both worlds. And one one idea I was thinking of is keeping the points for the stages – but instead of having a caution at the end of the stages, having a caution at the halfway point of the race at all racetracks, that way it doesn't necessarily eat into the strategy at the end of the race, but it also provides one caution point where teams can kind of strategize based off of that and also would still award points to other drivers. That was just something I came up with just throwing it out there. But I do think there are ways that NASCAR could come up with a way to reward drivers who run in the top 10 for the majority of the race without, you know, manufacturing cautions because it does in a way provide for gimmicky racing. And I think it also, while in some racetracks it will cause drivers to be more aggressive to try to get those stage points. And may also cause drivers near the front to look to be a little more conservative early on because they know they're going to get those cautions and they know they're going to have more chances to drive through the field. Um, so I think it's kind of a double-edged sword either way. It makes it a really tough argument. Um, but, yeah, I'd be interested to see if NASCAR is willing to make more rules changes regarding the stages. Okay. Uh, Mike, your follow-up. Well, there's kind of a delicate balance here. 
remember, NASCAR is a business, and it's not a competition business. It's not a sports business. It's show business. And, yes, there's a competition element. Yes, it's a sport, but there's a reason that they refer to these races as shows. So NASCAR does have to walk that line between balancing the pure competitive element of it but also providing an entertaining product that is going to get fans engaged watching their product and therefore creates value for sponsors for advertising in order to keep the sport viable financially. So there is that delicate balance that they need to do there to preserve the entertainment value without devaluing the competition element of it. The other thing on this zone, a very common criticism of NASCAR in general has been their almost year-to-year substantial changes in their formatting and scheduling and points awarding and and you name it. So having a little bit of a consistent element for more than a few years, in this case stage racing, I think is probably something that they should hang on to. If they want to tweak it one way or the other, maybe a couple minor tweaks here and there if there's value to be added from that. But I think wholesale changes may do more harm than good in terms of perception of the sport and the consistency of the sport year over year. Okay. I don't really have a whole lot to add uh, from what I said before. I could go either way on it. Uh, I do like the idea that there's still strategy that's involved either way. So, uh, Jay, we'll let you have the last word. Oh, really? And then it has to be the last word. Uh, Mike brought up another very great point. <laughs> I hate for that to be the last word, but no, the the consistency for more than a couple of years, uh, I, th- I think is very, uh, very important, uh, especially if it is not something that that's changing the, the sport drastically. Uh, like you said, tweak it maybe, but I don't think you eliminate it yet at this point anyway. Um, and, you know, like we said, if, if you're going to do it for one race, you almost have to do it across the board or it takes away from those certain races. So it would be something they would have to do full up across the board. So I think they need to find a way to maybe tweak it a little bit if that. If not, I think that's one of those that they just keep and say, hey, you asked for it, we gave it to you, we're not changing it again. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm going to bring up the next topic, I guess. Uh, And uh, during the broadcast for the Sonoma race, uh, the analyst made the comment that they felt like the top four drivers, uh, we were seeing a preview of the final four drivers for uh, the race at Phoenix. Uh, And those top four drivers were Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, Martin Truex Jr., and Joey Logano. So I want to get your guys' thoughts about that. Do you agree with them, or would you have a different set of four drivers? So, Mike, we'll start with you. Sorry, I was fumbling for the mute button. All right, so the top four, like we kind of talked about earlier with the Hendrick Motorsports comment, it's real easy to pencil in all four Hendrick Motorsports cars as potential final four drivers. Every single one of them has at least one win, and in the case of Alex Bowman and Kyle Larson, multiple wins. Chase Elliott's the defending champion. Up to this past weekend, William Byron has been knocking on the door or in the top ten for the past three months. So all 400 motorsports cars, I think, are solid uh, picks for a final four. Kyle Busch has been the guy who has – he's only won one race – but he's been the guy kind of spoiling the Hendrick Motorsports party a little bit. He's the one who broke up their second one, two, three, four finish at Charlotte. And he even kind of joked about not letting the Hendrick guys have all the fun. So I think he is another solid pick. 
Now, when it comes to Martin Truex and Joey Logano, I'm not as confident, especially not in Joey Logano. Martin Truex, I think he has a, probably a better shot of breaking into that final four. Uh, I think the next few months really suit his skills, especially on the road courses. Martin Truex may not have won any of the previous road course races over the past year because Chase Elliott's been kind of stealing them all. But don't forget, Martin Truex is a very good road course racer, and until Chase Elliott started winning them, he was the odds-on favorite every single time the series rolled into a road course. So I think the, uh, the remaining regular season schedule plays very well for Martin Truex, and that means he may accumulate some more playoff points that he can carry through to those final four. Uh, with regard to Joey Logano, I said I wasn't super confident in him. I'm not gonna, I don't want to take anything away from him, but I haven't seen him really at that at that level where I'm going to say, yeah, he's a lock for Phoenix. I think he very well could make it there, but I'd like to see a little bit more consistent domination out of him. Even if he doesn't win the races, lead a lot more laps than he's leading, and, and see a little bit more from that out of him. Um, other drivers who I could potentially see into that final four, Denny Hamlin, he's been quietly putting together a very good season. Even though he hasn't won a race, he's been there almost every single weekend and his points lead kind of shows that. He's got not an insurmountable lead, but he's got a strong points lead still, even though he hasn't won any races. So I think Denny Hamlin's another one to look at, potentially returning to that final four. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, any any of the drivers you could make arguments for or against, um, and we could go round and round with that, the one thing I wanted, or two things I want to say is, first, this seems like this discussion, just like silly season, starts earlier and earlier every season. Uh, we, we're only uh, 16 races. We still got 10 before the playoffs start, and we're talking about the final four. Yes, there are some great arguments to be made for particular drivers, but I'm going to go back in history. Who, and I, I know we're on the radio, we can't see each other raise our hands, but who last year didn't have Kevin Harvick written into the final four in pen? <laughs> Think back to the truck series. Sharon and I talked about this. William Byron uh, had a blown engine, possibly had him penned in as the champion, let alone in the final four. Didn't get the advance. So I think it's a little early. You can make some strong cases. Obviously, we think there are, feel like there are favorites, especially when you talk about stage points. But that I can immediately go back to last year with Kevin Harvick. So uh, we can have some fun with the discussion. But that's all it is, is discussion, because you never know. Um, I think the ones at least have to be considered the favorites. Yes, Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson from Hendrick Motorsports. Martin Truex, we've seen what he's done in the past. We know where he's at already this season. The way he's been running as of late, breaking up the Hendrick Motorsports uh, team, I think you've got to put Kyle Busch back into the conversation, even though with the only one win. Then you add, as Mike mentioned, he may not have the win, but Denny Hamlin has been very solid. And he did get his way into the Final Four last year, uh, even without the, the win to get him in, like we thought him and Harvick were going to take it all. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to make that argument. William Byron, uh, we've talked about him, the top 10 streak he had, the year he is having. Another one that you almost have to be able to throw into the conversation. So uh, I think it's still pretty wide open. Oh, and I'm really looking forward to your insight on this. You're our stats guy. Oh, yeah, I got some stats here. Um, well, so looking back, <laughs> like, just in the past few years, I find it 
very hard to believe that we won't see at least one Penske car in that final four. Uh, whether it will be Logano, Blaney, or Keselowski, I have absolutely no idea. None of them have really necessarily blown me away this season. In fact, Keselowski's kind of really faded these past few weeks. However, that almost makes me think he's the favorite of the three to make the championship four. He always seems to turn it up come playoff time, and I wouldn't be surprised if he did it again. Um, regarding Larson, I think he's the only one with a, enough of a playoff points cushion that I think he could almost just sleepwalk his way into the round of eight. But like we saw last year with Harvick, I mean, anything can happen in the round of eight. Um, I, I'm not writing anybody in pen right now. I don't think I will after what happened last year with Harvick. Um, but if I was going to say that I think there's one driver who's as sure a bet as any, it would be Larson. Um, but then again, a month ago, that would have been Hamlin. So I really, I have absolutely no idea. But I will say, I think the five and the 19 are my two championship favorites right now. I would throw the nine in there and I would throw the 11 and the 18 in there as well. Um, I think Denny's going to return to his top three every week form here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'm interested to see how he handles these road courses coming up. But uh, one name that nobody said, not that I would expect anyone to say him, but three of Austin Dillon is somebody who could very much sneak up on everyone and make his way in. He's been one of the more consistent cars this season. He's 12th in points, but He's only a little bit behind guys like Bowman, Keselowski, and Harvick. He's very much within reach. I mean, he was in very close to the round of eight last year. So I don't think it's completely out of the realm to see that maybe that three car make a run. Uh, If he can put together a string of top ten finishes during the playoffs, I can very much see it happening. Okay. Um, I I agree with a lot of what everybody said. I I do think Larson has to be a favorite, especially at this stage of the game. Uh, but can he keep that momentum up? Uh, goes back to the original question uh, that we had. Uh, you know, with the car that he's got right now, I would say yes. Um, the the Elliott Chase Elliott, another potential for Hendrick Motorsports, but I think William Byron has to be considered a potential there as well. He's had a, a career year this year, and uh, I, I see those two as interchangeable. It's possible that they both make it, but I do think uh, William Byron needs to be taken into consideration. Uh, I do think Martin Truex Jr. is one of those guys that's going to make it into the Final Four. He, he's a pretty smart guy when it comes to strategy. Uh, it seems like James Small and he are kind of clicking uh, right now, so uh, I saw some really good moves from Hutton Shrex Jr. Uh, at Sonoma, even though uh, it didn't. Uh, there were some situations where people made good moves on him as well. Um, uh, I do think that he still uh, has to be considered uh, one of the favorites to be in the Final Four. I agree with um, uh, Owen. I think brought this up that one of the Penske cars. Uh, could be in here as well. I would give the edge to, to probably Keselowski over Logano, but I, you can't count Logano. Uh, I remember the year they said the big three and me, and he went on to win the championship. So uh, I, I don't uh, take Logano lightly, trust me. Uh, but there are other drivers that could break this all up and, and, and possibly uh, uh, put themselves into that final four. 
and uh, some of these Joe Gibbs uh, drivers, Denny Hamlin. Uh, you know, the one thing about Denny Hamlin is he's always been one of these drivers. He might get some wins during the regular season, and then he falls short during the 10-race playoff. I think this year is going to be the exact opposite. I almost see Denny Hamlin being uh, one of these guys like Tony Stewart, who doesn't get that win during the regular season and all of a sudden cracks up, you know, five wins during the playoffs. Uh, I, I think he's going to peak. Uh, and I, but I know he's having a good season, but as far as wins are concerned, I think he's going to peak during the 10-race playoff. And I think he could be one to really watch out for uh, during the, the playoff se- section of our season here. Um, so, yeah, a lot can happen here. It's going to be fun to see what ends up happening. But uh, I thought it was interesting that the commentators were, were already talking about the Final Four, and they thought that this could possibly be pretty much unanimously across the board that this pretty much could be your Final Four uh, come Phoenix. So uh, any follow-up thoughts? Mike? Are you looking to me or to Owen, or who are you looking for? I'm looking at you, Mike. Well, you mentioned Tony Stewart, and obviously he's not racing this year, but one of his drivers is, and we haven't talked about him. I wouldn't count Kevin Harvick out yet. Uh, Obviously, he hasn't had a win yet. He has had nowhere near the level of season that he's had in previous years. But I think every single week that Kevin Harvick goes winless, that chip on his shoulder just gets that little bit bigger. And we may very well see an inverse of what we saw last year with Kevin Harvick's season where he had a very strong regular season and then kind of tapered off into the playoffs. I think we may end up seeing the opposite this year where Kevin Harvick gets hot towards the end of the season and makes a strong playoff run kind of under everyone's noses. I don't know that Stuart Haas Racing has the speed right now to pull that off, but if anyone can do it, Kevin Harvick can. Okay, Jay. I think the key word in what you said, the the analysts on TV said, is it could be the final four. Uh, they're 100% <laughs> right. It could be the final four, but I, I, I wouldn't put any, and Mike is back. Uh, I don't remember what the bet I was looking to make last week when you weren't on, you weren't even here to make it, but I wouldn't put any kind of bet out at this point. And it goes back to our previous conversation about Hendrick Motorsports. Did they Are they peaking too early? Are other teams watching, and when it comes playoff times, they've figured it out and are now performing at mm-hmm. that top level. So it is so hard to say. Uh, you know, if I were using a pencil, I might press a little harder with Kyle Larson and Martin Truex at this point. But honestly, those are the only two uh, I would. At this at this point, I say right now, I think Kyle uh, Bush is the one that is probably improved and on the hottest streak compared to the Hendrick Motorsports cars. Um, But that, too, we've seen that could taper off or it could pick up. So uh, those two of of Truex and Larson, at this point, I would have to say, are the only two I would even consider favorites or semi-locked in for Final Four. Uh, But, again, i got to go back to history. We had a couple of Final Fours written in, and they didn't make it. (laughs) Good point. Owen? Yeah, if there's one thing that I am going to write in 10, it's that that number four car will at least be into the round of eight. Uh, like like it's been documented all throughout this year, SHR has not been fitted that. Even Kevin Harvick can drive that car into the final four, but 
Uh, I would be hard-pressed to find a year where Kevin Harvick, especially at this stage in his career with how consistent he's always he always is, that he can't find his way into the round of eight and at least contend for a title. Um, he's going to give himself a fighting chance no matter what car he's in. Um, and also, I forgot to mention this. In addition to Austin Dillon, his teammate Tyler Reddick is one of the hottest drivers in the sport right now. Would I be surprised to see him in championship four? Yes, obviously, but... Uh, would I be surprised to see him make a run to the round of eight? Maybe not, because honestly, he got off to a terrible start. I think he was like 28th in points through four or five weeks, and he's now 13th with eight top 10 finishes and 16 races. I mean, he's a legitimate threat to finish eighth to 10th every single week, it seems like right now. And if he can keep that going, I don't see any reason why he couldn't be making him a deep playoff run for himself. So I think it's going to be he- a crazy playoff this year. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. <laughs> it is going to be a crazy playoff, and and you're right, Mike, it's possible that Harvick could do it, but he, does he have the car? I think he could do it if he had the car, uh, but Stuart House Racing would really have to kind of turn their program around. Uh, poor Eric Alamarola, that guy has had more bad luck this season um, than anybody I know. Uh, so I just don't think Stuart Haas Racing is kind of in that category right now. Could they turn it around? Sure, anything's possible. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but uh, Kyle Busch, uh, yeah, that's one that I think could maybe uh, come in there and really have a hot uh, final 10 or final, yeah, final 10 uh, playoff races. He could kind of come alive. Uh, during that segment, he's certainly breaking up uh, the, the the Hendrick Motorsports uh, brigade, if you will. And uh, so, I do think uh, Kyle Busch is a, is a possible to really come on there as well. So, other than what I've said before, I don't have a whole lot more to add. Uh, we are at the ten o'clock hours, so let's go ahead and start our roundtable. Owen, we'll start off with you. Well, it's it's funny you mentioned Eric Almirola because I actually wanted to clear some stuff up about Eric Almirola's season with an article coming up because I feel like uh, I've seen some comparisons to him and 2017 Danica Patrick, which I think is just outrageous. So I would love to write about that and explain the differences. However, uh, aside from that, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at CF Stewart. I'm still working on getting a Twitter. I promise I will do it. And uh, I'll have some more stuff out soon as well. Okay. Uh, Mike. That's going to be Mike underscore or Zell on Twitter and Mike double underscore O on Reddit. I'm not banned from either one of them yet, so I'm, I'm still there. You can find me on there. Uh, a quick plug. We didn't talk about it during uh, during the Hot Topics, but – this coming weekend at Stafford Speedway, the Superstar Racing Experience, SRX, will have their first race this weekend. Um, so in between watching the NASCAR races at 8 p.m. on CBS, you can catch the SRX uh, running their first race at Stafford Speedway this weekend. That's all I got. Okay. Well, Jay knows we brought it up during the first uh, part of the show <laughs> that they were racing this weekend. So, Jay, you're up next. Most certainly part of that loaded Saturday of racing, no matter what kind of racing you want to watch. So uh, definitely, uh, that's not where I thought Mike was going with that, with his plug. 
I believe there's still time for the all-star voting if you want to vote a uh, fan vote. I thought he was going to throw That's Matt DiBenedetto up there. Uh, there is a couple others that are certainly worthy of some votes. Always an interesting aspect to the uh, all-star race coming up. Um, so check out that. And I don't know what the cutoff is on that, but I know it's coming up here with the all-star race being this weekend. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And things I'm going to be working on this week would be getting my own phone fixed, uh, as it is completely <laughs> irritated me to the point of I'm taking it somewhere to either hit it with a hammer or see if they can fix it. Uh, but I'm also going to work on the Michael McDowell article and Front Row Motorsports. Uh, right now they are still slotted to be into the playoffs, which is huge for them. They won the Daytona 500, which uh, will always be labeled as a Daytona 500 champion. So uh, look for that at towards the end of the week. Okay. Quick Matt, Matt Benedetto is already in the all-star race by virtue of being a playoff driver last year. Okay, oh. so you don't have to vote for him. Okay, so let's uh, – I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter and Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including our website, fanforacing.com. Uh, that's where you'll find Sam Bornhorst uh, recap uh, from this past weekend uh, at Sonoma, as well as uh, the article that Owen's talking about. I'm looking forward to reading that. And uh, any other articles that come my way, we'll certainly have the recaps from all of the races uh, at Texas Motor Speedway. We have all three series racing this weekend, including the ARCA East that will be at Southern National uh, this weekend, and that race will be available on TrackPass. We will do the preview on Thursday night. We had Joe Graff Jr. on tonight. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear his interview, that's during the second half hour of tonight's show. And then um, also uh, uh, this Thursday, we have Andreas Perez de Lara, who is a Legends car driver with Red Racing, uh, scheduled to be on last, not last Thursday, but the Thursday before, I believe. And he... We had to cancel the show, so we rescheduled him for this Thursday. And uh, we're definitely looking forward to catching up with him and uh, checking that out. Uh, check out that show this Thursday night. He'll be on at 8.40 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, so, so a couple of things to look forward to there. Uh, Mike, or not Mike, uh, Jay was right. We have a packed a weekend of racing. The NHRA is racing at New England. We have the F1 in Canada. Those races are on Friday. Saturday, there's uh, the Truck Series race at Texas, the Xfinity Series race at Texas. That's at 12 noon and 3 o'clock. I'm sorry, 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock, respectively. Uh, ARCA East is uh, an evening race. You can check that out uh, on NBC Track Pass. Uh, the SRX at Stafford that Mike brought up. IndyCar has a doubleheader both Saturday and Sunday. Uh, that race, Those races will be on NBC. And then, of course, on Sunday also is uh, the Texas Open, uh, and that starts at 6 o'clock with the All-Star Race at 8 o'clock at Texas. That is probably one of the fullest weekends of racing that we'll have all year long. 
it is jam-packed. So you can't, uh, there's a lot of racing to see for anybody who's interested. Um, uh, shout out to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate everybody taking the time to hear what we have to say. And to our fan for racing crew tonight, uh, Jay, Owen, Mike, uh, appreciate you guys for what you do and uh, looking forward to uh, what's coming next uh, in regard to all three of you. Uh, also, um, I don't have anything more to say. <laughs> so I guess we'll call it a night. All right, good night, everybody. Good night. Take care. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.